Hello listeners, tis I, post-podcast Jordan, recording this pre-podcast disclaimer, what you are currently hearing, pre-podcast. Be it an innocent accident or a malicious attack, Sam's laptop decided that instead of recording its podcast mic, like we asked it to, it would record the laptop microphone instead. So, me and Eddie, for the entirety of the podcast, sound pretty much as I sound now, whereas Sam, well, Sam is going to sound like this. I'm just, I'm just an all-round cunt. Okay. And we didn't actually realise until this podcast went into editing that the audio had done what it had done, but thankfully it's a pretty easy fix so it won't happen again in future podcast recordings. Although maybe it should. Any long-term listeners will know the first 10 episodes of this podcast were recorded on a mobile phone. So maybe what we've done is cleverly combine the old and the new, putting them alongside each other so that you can see just how far we've come in such a short amount of time. Or maybe we screwed up. It's not my place to speculate. Regardless, audio discrepancy withstanding, please enjoy these oral offerings. No, oral offerings. That sounds terrible. Please enjoy uh, the 22nd episode of the Fun Filtered Podcast. And welcome back to the Fun Filtered Podcast. I am Samuel, and I'm joined as ever by Eddie. Hello. And Jordan. Hello. Joined in spirit and sort of. Well, interestingly, Eddie, before we went live, uh, you said that you've been doing a pub quiz with old friends of yours over Skype. Yes. And, well, you, you mentioned that you gave him drunk. Yes. So you, you had a hangover, and I said, oh, drinking alone. And you said, well, no, over Skype. Now, does that count as drinking alone, or does it not? Philosophical question, what do you think? <laughs> Open up with the big question, yeah. Sam, is it? I mean, um, if you, I mean, technically, I was sat in my room with drinks by myself, but I had people on another platform who were also doing the exact same thing. Yeah. Yes, so you're kind of bound by activity. By a group of sad losers, yes. Yeah, sure. sure. Um, <laughs> but I mean, like, let's say someone who never left their house, and but they Skyped constantly with different people. They had a social life, but it was playing out over Skype. Would that person be... Would you count that person as deeply lonely? No. Interesting. (laughs) Like, I genuinely don't know the answer to this question. Well, it's obviously not the ideal method of um, socialising, isn't it? No. Like, if we weren't all in lockdown, if, if someone was like... Oh, I'll join you over Skype. Yeah, that would people would just be like, what "The fuck's wrong with you?" You know, it wouldn't yeah. be like a valid uh, way to participate. Yeah, but no, I don't see why. Yeah, I don't see why that. Well, he's not drinking alone because there are other people there. You but know? It, but by the same token, that you're never drinking alone, then are you? Well, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, because there's always say, someone I, drinking. Because somewhere. those people are interacting. There's direct correlation between their actions. They are, you know. They're drinking with their friends. But they're not, though, are they? No, because you're talking about... You're trying to be, like, oh, you know, sneaky with all the... De- you're still like, well, if there's, like, another person in the world who's also coincidentally drinking at the same time, then technically... I'm not trying to be... Alone. I'm not trying to be sneaky about the detail. I'm not trying to Trojan horse anything. I'm just saying that what counts as being alone, then? If you don't count, literally, like, actually being on your own, but you're interacting with someone digitally yes what are the parameters of that what's the what are the limits where does being alone end and not well when there's no interaction with another person what if you're talking to someone over like omegle or whatever it is where it's a stranger that you don't know yeah that's an interaction so you're not alone when you're doing that no because there's another person on the other end of that interaction right you know okay see i would count that as being alone i would count talking to someone that you've never met well yes you're physically alone no it's i like, even you know, more than that i like, bigger than that i think you're alone in every <laughs> in every sense <laughs> right 
Oh, well, it's sort of like with them, um, like um, in a script, like is a car interior or exterior, you know? Well, it's both, isn't it? Yeah, it's both. But you get things like that. Where it's like, oh, what, what is it? You know, those are like... Are we, so are we spots. saying that solitude is a Schrodinger's cat? <laughs> it's both at the no, same time. I'm saying that if you're having an, if you're doing a thing, and then there's another person who is responding to the thing you are doing, yes, and you are engaged with, like it's not just like you know you do a thing and then like butterfly effect, someone else has to deal with the consequences of that action. Right. If you're both like we are both doing things at each other and we're both responding to the things we are doing, yeah, that is an interaction. And if you're having an interaction, yeah. then you're not alone. I'm not denying it's an interaction. We are agreed on that front. I suppose. Are we, are we disagreeing on the fact that an interaction doesn't necessarily mean you're not alone? I think so. I think we're dealing with the semantics of the word alone. Okay. I suppose there's a value judgment in alone, isn't it? Because, hmm. well, no, actually, I suppose there's a value judgment in lonely. Say, no. Being alone and being wrong. lonely are different, though. Well, no, lonely is something else entirely. You can be lonely while interacting with people. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course, yeah. So, but being alone seems more concrete. You either are or you aren't alone. You know, you can literally... But I think there's a value judgment there in the sense of... I think someone who's, you know, watching a girl on webcam and masturbating and is talking to her is deeply alone. I don't mean lonely, I mean alone. Right. Even though he's engaged in a social interaction. Okay. I like the fact you've just outed my Friday night fun, but sure. (laughs) (laughs) What I'm trying to get at, Eddie, is that you're deeply alone, okay? (laughs) Um, I live with three other people. I am not deeply And this alone. conversation, in any meaningful sense, isn't really happening. So much better, thank you, Sam. Because it's not happening. We can so, be as racist as we want, and then the SJWs will come, and we'll be like, ah, oh, but it didn't happen. It's interesting. We we're all technically it's alone. It's interesting that you jump to that. So you're you're saying that if you, if God wasn't watching, as it were. You would racism is your first port of call. <laughs> no, I was trying to think of something that would translate across the airwaves. Sure, right. Like, sure, oh, sure. we can We've all get naked. This. Well, it doesn't matter because no one's watching us. You know? We've been through this. You're the racist. I'm the sexist. Sam's a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just all round cunt. Okay. I was wondering where you were going to go with that, but okay, I, I accept cunt. Yeah. I'll take cunt. Funny um, as well how Sam has ensured that he's the only redeemable character. You really, can't really come I'm, back I'm, from misogyny or racism, but being a cunt, like you can. You this can this live with actually that. brings up another interesting human failing cognitively. Okay. So Eddie has just said, "I'm an all-round cunt," right? Yeah. That is generally applicable in every circumstance. <laughs> I am unpleasant. Right. You are racist, George, and Eddie, you're misogynist. So yeah. your hatefulness is very targeted, right? It's very streamlined. Mm. But because I'm just a cunt, and because I'm an all-round cunt, I somehow seem more palatable. Isn't that, <laughs> isn't that weird? That's really strange. Yeah. It's like um, the comedian Richard Herring makes a joke about uh, how you would hate a racist more than you would hate um, someone who hates everybody. Yes. Someone, you know, who truly is a misanthrope, who just despises well, it's humanity. Of, mm. It's sort of... Uh, I mean, I, it's making an assumption about the racist in this uh, in this context, but... We don't want to judge that, the like, racist. No, 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 we wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> We're not racist or anything. Um, if that's what it would be. If you're, ju- if you're judging the, a racist. Yeah, what would be the derogatory... Um, <laughs> practice when if you're being derogatory towards racists? Um, liberalism. common human decency. <laughs> what would you call it? Uh, what do you mean? Like, you're bigoted against racists? Well, like, if you demonstrate <laughs> hatred towards women, 
yeah. then you're a misogynist. Yeah. If you're demonstrating hate with to- hatred towards racists, yeah. what's that? Well, I suppose it is covered under the umbrella of decency and all that sort of thing, because it's like there needs to be a word for people who hate black people and for people who hate women. Yeah. There doesn't need to be a word for people who hate laptops. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's just like there's not enough demand. Not yet. There's a supply and demand problem there. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> when you say, like, hating a racist, like being bigoted towards a racist, do yeah. you mean unfairly prejudicial towards a racist that's the um the definition right of bigotry well i mean no bigotry is, is just having a bias against a group of people isn't it right okay a preconceived idea okay because prejudice can be a good thing in certain circumstances okay it has an ugly word because we usually associate it with uh racism well are you talking about the the i don't know who it was on who said it it was one of the, I think it was one of the intellectual dark web who was saying that, right. like, um, we have an opinion of apples. Like, the reason we make assumptions about things is that we can survive as a human being. Oh, right. Um, like, when we see an apple, we know that an apple probably won't kill us. I, we can make that assumption. I don't know, because I felt like that came up a long time ago. So I'm not sure it was a member of the IDW. Yeah. But yeah, ba- basically the, the idea that um, we judge all the time. Right. And yes, but the, the idea racism is kind of a glitch in that system. It's kind of a, yeah. a horrible byproduct of um, evolution. Yes. But yeah, yeah. So what do you mean when you say bigoted towards a racist? Well, the same bigotry one would demonstrate when being um, bigoted towards women. This is not important. All I want is a <laughs> I word. I want a mini Sam's lexicorner. That's all I want. Oh, you okay? want me to invent the word for? Or if the yeah, if no word exists. Right. Okay. <laughs> Um, or not? I don't know. This is a tangent that isn't that I we don't need this tangent. <laughs> but I suppose I just have to know if it's like you're okay. So let's just say, for example, there's a racist mm. and we uh, deplore his viewpoint in that sphere. Yeah. But let's say that he's very sensible about the economy. <laughs> right. Right. Would the the prejudice towards the racist kind of colour him, as it were, in every respect? So yes. we can't listen to his opinion about ev- anything because he's a racist. I think that's how it works okay. with women and black people, right? They're a racist or a misogynist will, like, doesn't matter what they do. It's like, oh, but you're black. Oh, but I you're suppose it's all a spectrum, yeah. isn't it? But okay, so, so so we're writing off racists wholesale. They have nothing yeah. good well, to no, say about anything. Well, no, this is the point I was originally going to make when when yeah. I was saying when you were saying that like um, the fact that you being an all round cunt and yet you're more redeemable than me and Eddie being a racist. Like in that yeah. scenario, it sort of implies that me and Eddie are basically decent people up to the racism. Yeah, and that's sort of like that seems more horrible because if someone's just an all around cunt when they're just being like nasty, it's like oh, but that's who they are. If me and Eddie are like basically decent and then all of a sudden we're like oh fucking women that's terrible aren't they okay like it's like <gasps> like something's being corrupted you know it's like no you're a good person see i think it's a different impulse i think it's the consistency someone who hates everyone is at least consistent it's like okay yeah i saw i can actually see the logic in hating everyone but just hating black people hating women that see the fact that it's um precise it's precision yes. is what is revolting you know, because it's right. like you have no good reason to think that. Yeah. <laughs> like hating everybody, fair enough. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, see, I mean, but okay. You could take someone like Nigel Farage, though, in this conversation, because a lot of people hate him yeah. for what his views and where he stands on things. Mm. But he's a good laugh down the pub and he can sure neck a pint. <laughs> <laughs> there is that. That was the uh, UKIP party manifesto, wasn't it? <laughs> like, he's he's, he's, he's a, a terrible man, but he's a laugh. You know? He's a yeah. laugh. 
He's a lot. Yeah. He'll join you for a beer. You know. <laughs> Do any of us actually know much about Nigel Farage? No, I know that he, he likes he beers. He looks weird no. and he likes a That's beer. That's all I know. He does look weird. He looks like a toad. <laughs> um, but then again, so does Trump. So I suppose if that's reason enough to vote for him. <laughs> Don't you ever expect with Trump that his, his uh, chin and it to just kind of inflate like a toad? Like, you know, that. I, I, yeah, I, I can fully see that. I'm always yeah, waiting yeah, for I can that. imagine that. Yeah. Um, so what have you been up to, lads? Oh, um... <laughs> You know, pretending I'm dropping a rap album. Basically, <laughs> okay. Okay. my life now. Do you want to? Do you want to explain yourself? I, I, just, I just, I took a picture with the microphone because I was bored, and that equated to me deciding to write random rap lyrics, which are quite bad. Right. Um, do you know I'm, what we're going to ask now? Oh yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Um, he's not going to do it though. I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to rap him. I will say them. I'm not going to rap. Oh, them. Well, there's no point then. Like I said, just become, literally not. If you're going to pretend, pretend right, Eddie. Just rap it. It for becomes us right now. no. If, because the thing is, rap is poetry, but in a you know delivered in a lilted fashion. Yeah. So I will just. And so read if you just read you out your poem, it becomes a poetry. It's a poem recitation. A man's poetry. No, I'm not. Not rapping it. Look, I will lay down a sick beat for you. I've said this. I will. Lay down not, sick beat. No. Wicky wicky wicky. Come on! I'm not rapping it like uh, that. Go on then. What's your, um, what's your rap? Th- 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 this is like my my coronavirus diss track, basically. Okay. <laughs> Straight COVID-19, out of COVID nineteen. You stupid. <laughs> it's you wanted to isolate us, and now you've kicked up a fuss. Sorry, mate, you've missed the bus. Us lot, we were already fucked. So you're just shit out of luck. We'll treat you like a little cuck. Sat there, you're stuck in mourning. The next virus is already calling. There were no racial expletives in that, so it can't be rap. It's not a real rap. <laughs> That's not a rap. Shame Come on, Eddie. Come on, say it. Say it. Say the word. Which word Come do you on, want to say, Sam? N I G. Say it. Say Come it. on. N I G. Yeah, the rest of the word. Come on. I'm not saying Nigeria again. Come on now. Uh, okay, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> it's fair enough. Honestly, the um, outtakes of this are going to be horrific. <laughs> oh god, I can't think of a single word that has the letters N I G in it in any like in that order anywhere in the word. Night. No, but they have that sort of like. That, that sound. sound to them, yeah. Um, interesting. <laughs> Maybe that like language was so that's such a taboo word that no other word can even begin to sound like it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Don't you ever? Um, you've got a you've got a focus like a laser point focus whenever you say Arnold Schwarzenegger. Do you yes. know? <laughs> <laughs> like really got to think about you know getting that right yeah um, well during the um the <laughs> during the scott pilgrim discussion we had mm. in the top 10 of the tens when we were talking about like nager scott yeah yeah like that yeah, almost yeah. went awry a couple of times. it did yeah yeah uh so is, have you up to anything else or is it just focusing on your fictional rap career i mean I've done a bit of writing and a bit you know a bit of reading still okay yeah but we don't care about that um <laughs> all we care about is your fictional rap career well yeah i mean that that the thing the worst thing is that's probably by far the best. <laughs> is that like the thing you've had the best reception to? Not your sincere attempts at becoming a writer or anything like that. Just the stupid little. Well, I mean, I mean, like, George, I did send thing. you the jokey little thing that I wrote, which was my stay home demo. Yes, um, which you're about to hear now. All right. Okay. 
We're stuck inside with nowhere to go. Our eyes grow wide, go to the window. Man on the street, now where's he off to? No bags in hand, so can't be Tesco. I spy on him, I keep my eyes peeled. I lose my mind when it's revealed. The truth inside, no, I can't conceal. The man's just sat drinking in a field. It's day or night, there's no need to roam. So stay inside, scrolling Google Chrome. Chances are high that you're not alone. Hear my advice, stay smart and stay home. That's being spliced into the episode. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we've got you <laughs> rapping on the episode we do yeah um, we do yeah I mean the only other thing that I've got written down <laughs> like that right. moment where he was like oh shit that's actually gonna happen I know I, I there's don't no give stopping a shit. it I, I honestly okay. I could put it in there it's funny as fuck you say that your face didn't say that Eddie <laughs> um, yeah the only other thing I've got and don't ask me why this was the line in my head but it starts with you got ketchup on your neck why was that line in your head I don't know <laughs> <laughs> you got ketchup on your neck. You looking kind of stressed. In your so loins. I'm pressing eject before you hit the deck. Ketchup on your neck. Yeah, I'm sort Vampires? of a picturing a McDonald's vampire. Yeah, <laughs> you wouldn't want to eat with that person. It's like he's got ketchup on his neck again. <laughs> I, I'd want to have a conversation with him. It's kind of like how how, how, how are you managing you this? Ketchup on your neck. It's like that. Is it Greek? So how do you need to like miss eat the food? Explain the physics of it to me. Yeah, yeah. Like how the hell does it end up there? Is it the Greeks that throw like salt over their shoulder or something before they eat? There's someone that does that. Maybe the Greeks. I don't know. Um, Yeah, maybe that's his little routine. He's a fat American. He just throws ketchup over his shoulder (laughs) for good luck. Or... Well, just as part of the tradition, isn't it? It's like people do say their um, they say grace before eating. He just throws right, ketchup okay. over his shoulder. That's his grace. Is That's it? his grace. Yeah, <laughs> bottle of Heinz <laughs> over the shoulder. Yeah, uh, I overheard the worst person in the world. Sorry. So the people I live next to are uh, scum. Okay. And uh, they were on the doorstep and they were having a conversation. And let me hear some of the. The tidbits that I overheard. Okay. So they were lamenting, as we all are, the, you know, the enduring lockdown of the country. Hmm. And one of them said, oh, they've closed everything. It's fucking childish. So that was the first right. note. Okay. Then the, the, in response, the person said, they're hiding something they are. They're hiding something from the public. And Donald Trump has the answer. <laughs> That's verbatim. I have not condensed that right. for poetic purposes or anything that is verbatim what was I said I suppose it's, pre- it's pretty nice um, to sort of like be a world leader in this current climate because <laughs> literally anything bad that happens is Donald Trump's fault yeah like even yeah. Boris Johnson who has his detractors like yeah. even he Trump, like Trump is even responsible for his failures yeah. you know I misheard that then when you said he has his detractors I thought you were concocting another conspiracy theory I thought you were saying Boris Johnson you know, he has the tractors and God knows what he is doing in those fields. <laughs> um, well, he need, yeah, he needed a couple of weeks. That's why he faked COVID nineteen, right? So he could like, get the combine. I have the tractors. I will plow the field. Um, and then the final nail in the coffin was they were talking about a trip to Amsterdam, and one of them reviewed Anne Frank and just said, "Oh yeah, Anne Frank, uh, boring. Find Anne Frank boring." <laughs> Now, See, they've done I've before, never, you know? Yeah, I've never been to Amsterdam. I've never been to the Anne Frank Museum. You know, maybe it's kind of a taboo thing to say that, okay, for some people, it might be boring going to the Anne Frank Museum because you know what? Mm. Museums can be boring. Yes. But to find like Anne Frank, like that, to find that boring, <laughs> that's such a failure of everything, isn't it? Yeah. Of, of compassion. What are you, what were you expecting? <laughs> 
at the Anne Frank Museum. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. When you said uh, he gave a review of Anne Frank, I genuinely thought you were just going to be like, hey, just turn around. He's like, yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> was a Jew then wasn't. Yeah, six out of ten. You know, she's, you know. Six out of ten. She was inspiring and all that, but, you know, she wasn't that hot. Yeah, she wasn't that the hell. hot. Yeah. Or whatever the hell he's on about. She was pretty impeccable uh, hide-and-seek, but ultimately <laughs> imperfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's not going to help if you're applying for like, a job in, like, you know, finance or whatever, is it? Yeah, hide yeah. And seek. Where's she now, that stupid bitch? <laughs> Where's she now? <laughs> no one talks about her anymore. Yeah, you know, Anne Frank, fucking typical one-hit wonder. Typical. You, you, she turns up. Typical. She does her thing. Never never to be heard from again. Never to be heard of. Royalty, no. she must be raking in. Mad. I know, oh, that's that, ridiculous. That book sells through the fucking roof. Yeah. Well, it's just further confirmation that Jews control everything, don't they? Absolutely, yeah. Speaking of, isn't there uh, isn't JJ Abrams been up to something? <laughs> That's hell of a segue. He's up to a few things, to be fair. Right. Um, the one I wanted to highlight. Actually, before we before we get dive into this, okay, I was going to introduce uh, a little instalment of Sam's Lexicorner in this episode out of nothing, X and Yellow. Just I was going to you know drop it. Right. Um, but I'm lamenting the fact now that we were talking about ketchup, and I could have. I could have segued from ketchup into this point. So I'm just going to okay. pretend that we've just talked about ketchup. Right, okay. Um, <laughs> okay, so here's another edition adi- uh, of Sam's Lexicon. Samuel. Words. Phrases. Sam's Lexicon. Okay, so this week on Sam's Lexicon, tomatoes are fruit, right? Yep. Yes. Okay. But it's often grouped with vegetables. Yeah. And so one of the first, like, interesting facts you hear as a child is, oh, did you know tomatoes are actually fruit? Yeah, it's one of those, like, basic bitch, oh, funny, like, you didn't know this. Yes. We we raised dumb children. God, isn't the world strange, you know? Okay, so I would say now most people know that tomatoes are fruit in the world. Yeah. Most people know that. Yeah. But most people also probably think that most other people think it's a vegetable. Right. And so whenever the subject comes up, it's, oh, did you actually know tomatoes are fruit? And so I'm coining the tomato fallacy, which refers to the idea that most people believe the spurious notion when, in fact, they know the real thing. They know the actual fact of the situation. It's the misapprehension that uh, the fiction is more widely believed than the fact. Okay. So I'm calling that fallacy. Does it become localized? So is it the tomato fallacy in America? Or are you putting your foot down and you're like, no. Well, it's, it's, I, I invented the word fucking say it properly. You well, know? or phrase. You didn't invent the word tomato. You invented I didn't. the phrase tomato <laughs> I fallacy. My, the, the remaining liberal bones I have compel me to be open to diversity of pronunciation, but we all know there's only one right way of doing it. <laughs> okay. Um, the tomato fallacy. Samuel. Words. Phrases. Sam's lexicon. Right, Eddie, you were talking. I interrupted you. Uh, yeah, no, it's just, so yeah, J.J. Abrams has been working uh, with HBO Max mm-hmm. on a spin-off TV series of The Shining. Yeah, I, that's literally all I know. Do we have any more information about it's it? It's called Overlook. Okay. And he is working with Castle Rock co-creator Dustin Thomason. Right, okay. Is that a good thing? I I, don't, I mean, I don't know anything about Castle Rock other than it ran for two series. Yeah, it's ongoing, I think. Unless it's been cancelled. It's okay, Castle Rock. It's, it, yeah, okay. obviously, Castle Rock is um, 
it's kind of an anthology series inspired by the works of Stephen King. And so it kind of each season integrates different aspects and right, characters okay. from different novels. The, okay, so there's a connection there already by bringing in the Castle Rock guy. Yeah, yeah exactly. So okay. like season two, there are elements of Salem's Lot. There are elements of misery. You know, they, they okay. kind of just bring all these different things together. Well my, well, my impulse, as I feel might be the impulse with a lot of people, is when I think, oh, spin-off The Shining, I obviously immediately think of the Kubrick film. Yeah. Right. And yeah, that has no wiggle room for like expansion. You know, I, but I haven't read the Shining books. I haven't read the Doctor Sleep. Yeah. I've seen Doctor Sleep the film, so I know that there's a universe beyond what's presented in Kubrick's The Shining. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know how rife it is for expansion and exploration, though. Well, yeah. So overlooks obviously the name of the hotel. Yeah, yeah. So I'm guessing they're going to build it around different guests. Or... Different, yeah, different yeah. guests, different yeah. characters. Do, do you think it might be like a Bates Motel? They might go in that direction because that was like five seasons, I think. Yeah, I, I haven't read The Shining either. I know that it's there are substantive differences between the book and Kubrick's adaptation. Famously, yeah, yeah, like that is very much its own kind of creature. But uh, I don't know. I mean. I guess I remain open to it. We'll see. But is J.J. Abrams the right person to do a um, a Shining story? Well, well, Again, I, I because saying, I the Kubrick film with... is so like measured and deliberate. You're and talking about the film of... now? I'm talking about the film, yeah. And I know Doctor Sleep is a bit... It's a bit less horror-y and a bit more like thrillery. Yeah. I know most people are going to think of the Kubrick film, but I think you've yeah. got to lift that out of the equation. I doubt this is going to have any relationship to that film. No. Um, I don't know. I, I, can, I can see the show um, referencing it a few times. No, but not the film, right? It'll reference the events that took place. No, I think in- it'll reference the film. I think it's impossible to not reference the film. Why? Well, it's just so... It's probably more known in pop culture than the book of The Shining. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah 100%. People, that's what most people's interpretation of The Shining is. It's yeah. what Kubrick did with it. Yeah. So I think to basically disregarded entirely or to sort of pretend as though the film is not there mm. i don't think the show would do that I, I think its impulse would be sort of like a few winks and nods so people can go like oh yes yeah, it does know the shining exists i'm not saying that it won't do that because yeah i think i agree that they likely will and and i think especially in the wake of like star trek and star wars jj abrams has that impulse in him anyway to kind of like reference different portions of a certain property and to sort of make it feel like it's one cohesive whole you know not quite no, nostalgia well, baiting I mean, but sort of like that impulse is in him now well star wars it, it's canon isn't it that is directly it's following on from the events of the preceding films well uh, yeah no it is isn't it you can call it a soft reboot but it's it's within the same universe it's the same no no it's, it's, it's more the, the fact that it's literally the same films that's why oh I was yeah like, yeah, okay. yeah um the shining like i said i'm not saying they won't do that they might well treat that film as kind of as gospel yeah but stephen king was famously unhappy with kubrick's version of the shining yeah and i don't know is he involved in the you know its production of this new series um is that stephen king's mo i don't really get the impression that he's involved in many of his adaptations not no not many like he cameoed in it part two but he probably had nothing to do with the development of that no no yeah very few very few i mean he might be a producer you know i don't know but if I was doing it, I, w- I wouldn't refer to the film at all. Right. Because you're you're either doing something inspired by the book or you're doing something inspired by the film. Doctor Sleep obviously sort of did both. Yes. How cleverly is up to you to, to, to determine. But that's sort of the events of the book, but the iconography of the film. 
So I can see the show yes. doing that, you know, of like Jack, if they ever show Jack Torrance, you'll have the Nicholson hair. Yeah, that yeah. Sort of thing. And the hotel will probably be somewhat modelled after... Yeah, the same carpets, the, you know, the, the trikey and all that sort of thing. I don't know. See, taking out of the equation whether J.J. Abrams will or won't yeah. reference the film, I don't know whether he should. I don't know whether the show... Sh- be- again, because Kubrick's The Shining is so entrenched in the fabric of pop culture, mm. I don't know if the show kind of needs a moment where it's sort of like delivering a statement of like, this is a different beast, you know? Whether that would be sort of like you do a scene that looks like it's going the same direction as the film, and then yeah. you completely subvert it. It could go the way of Fargo, couldn't it? Where the, like series, season one starts off as it's it's kind of a reboot of the film, sort of. Yeah, in that you've got the pregnant. Well, she's not pregnant at the time. But you've got the female sheriff and all these different. It's like okay, you've got yeah, exactly. they're doing something different. You've got the William H Macy analog, and the, but then yeah. by the end of the season, and then by season two, it's entirely its own. Yeah, at what point did it become clear that TV Fargo is a different beast from film Fargo? Well, it depends on me by different beast, doesn't it? Because it, it all, I mean, the film is canon within the TV series, isn't it? Mm. So, but obviously it's to- they're tonally very similar. And um, Noel Hawley has been unapologetic about saying he is trying to make a Coen Brothers film on television. Yeah. Like that is what he's trying to do with each season. I don't know, I guess just that gradually, I, I can't pinpoint a moment where you where I thought, okay, this is its own entity now. Um, it just kind of happened, I suppose, somewhere along the way in season one. Okay. And but, I would say, yeah. just for confirmation, according to the thing I'm looking at, it does say it's going to take a similar approach to Bates Motel. Okay. Oh, there so you go. So it'll be yeah. a prequel. It'll be a prequel, right? Rather than... Yeah, that feels like the sensible direction. I haven't seen Bates Motel. My mother and my sister were obsessed with it. Yeah. Um, but I, I hear good things about it. Was it I hear that it did Wasn't it did the well. last series of Bates Motel where they basically loosely did the plot of psycho i think so yeah yeah. that sounds right yeah but other than that yeah it was a prequel we'll see i guess yeah as ever (laughs) and the other thing was the eddie eddie yes the tv series that's coming to netflix in may yeah well let's say it's a tv series it's a limited series okay and what's the premise it's a date it's damien chazelle yeah so it's jazz music Mm -hmm. and it basically there is a jazz club called the eddie and it turns out the the partner in the club owes a lot of money to unpleasant people. To yeah, to unpleasant people. Okay. Yeah. Right. So okay. yeah, you've got sort of backdrop of jazz with this sort of drama going on over affording the is it, nightclub. And is it period? Is it contemporary? Uh, from the looks of it, I'd say it's fairly contemporary. Okay. okay. See, I don't think he's done period yet, has he? Outside of First Man. Uh no, no. I mean, La La Land is obviously a very deliberate throwback. But, um, yeah, I suppose in a way he doesn't have to do period because his films have a very um, uh, retro, for lack of a better word, feel to them anyway. Yeah. Like La La Land could sort of take place at any time. Yeah. Same Which, with Whiplash as well. So, yeah, so could Whiplash, yeah. Yes. So as an Eddie yourself, Eddie, <laughs> yeah. how do you feel about this kind of representation? Um, I mean, Because spelled- you're not a club, are you? I'm not. I'm not a club. However, I also don't yeah. spell Eddie with a. Y. How do you feel about this? This this heinous like summary that like oh all Eddies are clubs. Yeah, you know? misrepresentation. Yeah, uh, I've been called worse things. Okay. <laughs> no, you know you have to. You can't just accept <laughs> this bigotry. You have to stand up not, to it, Eddie. Do you not resent the tacit implication that you've had loads of men inside you? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. Fair enough. Where that Hello, Eddie's mum and dad. <laughs> Um, do you know what I want? I want to see a loan shark that's just kind of 
has a disposition towards politeness and is just frustrated. So they <laughs> instead of like, I'm going to fucking break your legs they, whenever they go to collect the money, he's like, I don't have any. She's like, oh, for, why? For God's sake. Please, please just give me my money. They're always like shady, aren't they? Just, I'm uh, a lone shark, not a lone teddy bear. You can't just keep doing this to <laughs> it's me. In the name, I'm a shark. Yeah, Bit, bitch. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was that was improper of me. Okay. Well, it's Damien Chazelle. You know, I will give it a go. Mm. Yeah, I, I will definitely be watching it. I mean, I yeah. like I like jazz. Um, and it's you Damien, like jazz? And I, like, I don't like jazz. And I okay. like Damien Chazelle. Um, okay. Yeah, I will certainly be giving it a go. I like the look of the trailer. Okay. Um, okay. All right. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he tackles television. He hasn't done that before, has he? No. No, no he hasn't. No. So, um, we'll say, yeah, it'll be yeah. interesting to see whether I, he... I mean, do you think, off the top of your head, because um, Whiplash is such a... We've talked about that at length already, but that's yeah. such like a... That belongs as a film. You know, it's such a tight, well-constructed yeah. story. Mm-hmm. It's sort of weird to think about him doing something more long-form with, like, you know, multiple characters and storylines interweaving and rather than just a very specific story you know he's actually not the only director i didn't realize that he's directing no no he's directing the first two episodes so it's very much a uh he's gonna set the tone and then probably never do anything with it ever again oh oh why'd you bother bringing this to our attention (laughs) i didn't realize that i don't know i mean it could be like a fincher couldn't it where he directed the first few episodes of mindhunter but then remained as a creative presence and then directed yeah Mindhunter still two. feels like a Fincher project even yeah. when Fincher is not directly creatively yeah. uh, spearheading it yeah. yeah that was a bummer wasn't it we talked about that and there's nothing really to talk about it but the indefinite delay of Mindhunter yeah possibly uh, to never return I mean it was one of the best shows on television and it's just it's such a um, I don't know it, it feels like a big to take a break to me suggests that you're really saying goodbye to it because yeah or they don't really wrong. know what to do with it i think I, I think it was uh fincher was just pursuing different things creatively and he didn't want to hold the cast like indefinitely to their contracts you know so like well we'll release right. them from their contracts and then if we have more ideas we'll bring them back sort of thing okay but especially for a period show i mean it's the 70s and 80s it's not like it's the 20s but still it's it, period detail to, to put your foot on the brakes of that it's like you're saying it's over, you know? Okay. I, I, I would like to be a bit more optimistic about it. I like to think that it is just, um, we'll come back to it. We just yeah. don't have anything in the pipeline at the moment. I'm hopeful, but I just, I've seen this, ha- you know, it's very rare that shows kind of say, we're going on hiatus and then actually come back. Mm. Yeah. Because I don't know. Cause like, cause the interesting thing about Mindhunter is it sort of has, it sort of has three main characters, right? Yeah. And the first season followed one of those main characters, and the second season followed one of the other main characters. Sort of. So, yeah, yeah sort of. Like, it follows everyone, but it, the focus yeah, is very much on yeah. one character. Yeah, you know. yeah. Uh, what's his name? Holden? Yeah, Holden in the first season. Holden in the first series, then... Bill. Bill in the second series, and then you have the woman, yeah, Dr... Wendy. Wend- Dr. Wendy, whatever yeah. she's called. Wendy Carr's in it. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, if you want to try and find a pattern there, then Wendy would be the focus of the third series. I suppose so. So I don't know whether they just didn't have a story yet for her, because obviously she's a she's a doctor, but she's also like a like a lesbian as well, and it's sort of set at a time where that wasn't really... I, yeah, I, I don't think thing it's, yet. this is because of a lack of creative juice. I think it is just Fincher can't do it for the time being. Yeah. And so it's not going to continue without him. And if that's the case, I applaud that. Okay. It's like, yeah, don't feel the need to keep the train rolling. 
if the you know the driver fucks off oh yeah yeah um, absolutely yeah so hopefully it will come back but i'm not i'm not optimistic about it okay i gotta be honest it is such a shame i've never seen a show that other than maybe that one episode of the shield that follows forest whitaker i've never seen a show that will sort of change the perspective like it will it, the show will sort of um shift to a different character's perspective so you're seeing the show through a different character eyes and without changing the character you were following he feels like a completely different a completely different character like the first series with holden yeah you're kind of with holden all of the way you see like you know you see his flaws and everything yeah but you're very much following him and mm. then the moment the show switches over to bill's perspective mm. holden just seems like a loose cannon you don't you you're sort of yeah. like bill where you're like you don't know how you can cope with him and it doesn't feel like they do anything different with that character. It feels exactly the same. It's interesting that it, it kind of, your perspective is that it's as tectonic a shift as it is. Because um, I don't see it I'm not it saying it's way. a radical, yeah. it's, because it's not a radical shift because the part of the point I'm making is that he feels like the exact same character. Yeah. But your relationship to him completely changes without no change to him. You know? Well, it's, um, it's that thing of, because you're getting a little bit more of an insight into Bill's life, and yeah. in season two, the trouble that he's going through with his son um, and the fact he can't be at home because he's investigating these murders. Yeah. When you've got the, because, uh, you know, Bill is the more seasoned, kind of uh, grizzled, experienced one. Yeah. And then Holden is, they're both very professional, but Holden is younger and a lot more idealistic and kind of revolutionary, I suppose. He really wants to, yeah. um, he cares less about propriety. Yes. Um, and yeah, so when you've got Bill dealing with all this stuff and Holden's like, you're not committed, mate. Your mind's not on the job. It, it seems more offensive, you know? It's, yeah, fuck yeah. you, you don't know what this guy is going through. Yeah. So I, I suppose it's just that thing of, uh, you know, with that, those episodes of Lost where you're seeing Ben's backstory and it's like, okay, I'm seeing the villains. Everyone's a villain until you hear this side of the story, right? Yes, yeah, exactly. So it's, uh, it's kind of extension of that, I guess. Yeah. Um, but obviously we, we would, um, even though... It, for the time being, at least, it's a story that's going to go unfinished. We ab- we absolutely recommend Mindhunter. Right? It's, yeah, it's the most deliberately crafted show I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, I, I put Breaking Bad even in that category. I know we've sort of like, the running joke with you is you, uh, everything you like is just people in rooms talking. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's your ideal TV show. It's a show of people in rooms talking. That is literally Mindhunter. It is a show it of is. people in rooms talking. But it's so well done. It's so well done. The talking is so good. You know? The talking is so good. And just the, the people feel it's perfectly cast. And uh, the highlight of it has to be Cameron Britton as Ed Kemper. Just that performance. Oh, they've got a wicked Ed Kemper. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, do you know you know Mindhunter, right, Eddie? I haven't seen it. It's on my list. Okay, but you yeah. know what it is, right? Ish. Okay, yeah. It's basically like... Um, Mindhunter is about the sort of... Uh, the nascency of the FBI profiling um technique Mm. so it's about the two guys that kind of spearheaded this idea of talking to serial killers and understanding them on a psychological level and they kind of gave birth to even uh the term serial killer you know they they create they created the language um for the discourse on this subject it's it's set in the late 70s and uh, early 80s and yeah kind of the first season's a bit more roaming it's about different cases across the country but season two is very it focuses on the atlanta child murders in the late 70s mm. and yeah it's just meticulous in mm. every respect yeah in, but, in the same way because yeah that's sort of the appeal of the show is you're following the people who are writing the book on fbi profiling as characters yeah. but the the sort of the highlight of the show is 
they go to a prison and then they, and they interview convicted serial killers. Yeah. Like Ed Kemper is a recurring side character that they co- they constantly go back to. Yeah. They interview Manson at one point. Yeah. And that's like that's cool. Uh, referring back to what I was saying about like bad genius, and I suppose Whiplash as well. Like in those films, in Whiplash, the drumming sequences are kind of like the action scenes. Mm-hmm. And in Bad Genius, whenever they're doing an exam. Uh, that's kind of your big heist scene as well. Mm-hmm. And it sort of feels a bit like that with Mindhunter, where that's kind of the closest... The conversations they have with the killers is the closest the show gets to, like, its sort of thrillery scenes. Yeah, action set pieces. Like, I genuinely... I was, like, even though the show is literally just people in rooms talking, mm. I was always, like, waiting with anticipation for the next time they get in a room with a killer. Oh, yeah. And they're just talking to them in a the prison. They're definitely the highlights of the show. Yeah, it's because so well it's an obsession well with minutiae. Like, a, a massive plot point in Mindhunter is they find out that a killer has behaved slightly differently than other killers they've interviewed. Yeah. And that kind of adds a whole new framework, you know, to their mm. thinking. And, yeah, yeah the scenes, were, it's, it's just so well written, where it's every little look, pause, and what they say or don't say. Yeah. It's all... It all has this weight to it, and yeah, it's just, and the way it's filmed, it's just it's it's perfect, frankly, isn't it? Yes. Um, so yeah, Probably we so. recommend. <laughs> it's definitely on the list. So okay, should I quickly get in my review of Tiger King then? Yeah. Well, I was gonna say all those people who were hashtagging release Joe King or whatever his name is, Joe Exotic, Exotic. Joe Exotic, hashtag free Joe Exotic. No hashtag bring back my <laughs> yeah uh but yeah you've you you stuck with tiger king yeah and you finished it right yeah go on what uh, do you have to say okay so what i said before was it felt like its popularity was a because everyone is now at home watching netflix yeah and b while you know admittedly the characters the, i say the character the subjects of the documentary are very bizarre people and it's an unusual situation and, and the fact that Joe Exotic looks the way he does, like a caricature, like he lends himself to memes very well. Yes. Yeah. So I think that a large part of its popularity is that people who aren't really exposed to weird shit, it's incredibly surreal to them. And I think that's part of it. Not all of it. I don't think that accounts for all of its popularity. So yeah, I watched it to the end. It is w- well made. It's It's messy. But it, it, it's well made. Is it messy because... Because we've already... Uh, everyone already knows that, like, production kind of changed halfway through. Yeah. Because when they began filming, he hadn't ordered the death of Carol Baskin. Mm. And then that sort of happened halfway through. So the focus of the documentary sort of shifted. Yeah. So is that impact... Is that why it feels messy? Because you can sort of tell when they... The moment they start to, like, No, messy scramble. in the sense of... It goes off on tangents. And it sometimes lacks cl- a clarity of purpose. Okay. You know? mm. Which is fine. I'm all, you know, I'm all for messy sometimes. But, yeah. It is well made, if muddled a little bit. It is an interesting subject and situation. But, basically, it's not all that, is my, is my thing. Like, <laughs> right. what okay. they set up in the first episode... I think I said before, like, I got the gist. And I, I know that was quite glib. Mm. But I, I did. <laughs> you know, now having watched all of it. <laughs> it does take occasional... It is quite bonkers, and it does take occasional swerves into kind of outright weirdness and unpredictability. But only by dint of... The, the documentary makers have held it back from you. So... Uh, for instance, Joe Exotic has two husbands uh, unofficially, and he cl- he clearly is very controlling, and he has them on drugs, and he you know he has enough money that he keeps them hooked on drugs, 
and they don't feel like they can leave the compound and they have a very uh, restricted life. And then one of them kills himself. Okay. And it's surprising because it's almost caught on camera, right? Right. CCTV footage. She basically walks out of frame and you hear a gunshot and you see the reaction of someone who has seen it happen. Mm. My biggest kind of, the most interesting thing I've taken away from it is the Skylar effect. I've seen a lot of people say that, oh, Carol Baskin is truly the evil person right. in this documentary. And I'm deeply suspicious of that because, okay, there is some, one episode focuses on the disappearance of her husband and the speculation that she had him killed or killed him and disposed of the body. Yeah. Now, if that is true, it is obviously a hideous thing to do and she is a hideous person. Mm, mm. And she comes across as quite unlikable in like a Hillary Clinton kind of way where it's a bit false and the laughing's a bit artificial and oh, I just don't, I wouldn't want to be in her company, right? Yeah. But in terms of what we know about Joe Exotic, he, I, I don't know how you can come out of that documentary and go, oh yeah, she's definitely worse. He paid someone to have her killed. He controlled his husbands to the point where one of them committed suicide, right? Mm. He kills his animals. He clearly is purely ego-driven. I don't understand how you can come out of it thinking that she's worse. It's definitely a Skylar effect of like, oh man, he's this kooky kind of libertarian that just wants um, his own property and the rights to these animals and you know, he shoots dummies. He's, oh, this is a Peter member. And he like blows up a dummy. Yeah. He's entertaining and she is boring. And so therefore we dislike her more. And I'm just a bit, I, I do think that, you know, not to sound like a woke lefty. I think there's a bit of misogyny in there. Mm. I do. I think that an irritating, for whatever reason, an annoying woman, we find more repulsive than an evil man. And I think that's a really strange psychological phenomenon. Because mm. you'd have to contend the Skylar thing is bizarre, right? Well, no, she's a bitch. Okay. We established right. this back in episode okay. one, Sam. Yes, no, I do agree, Sam. Yeah, you know, <laughs> she's a bitch. You're supposed to have my back, Eddie. <laughs> it's us versus yeah, him. She's, you a, know? she's a fucking moany wife. And for whatever reason, we hate that more than we hate, you know, dissolving bodies in acid. It's a very strange right. thing. And I think it demands some <laughs> introspection. Carol Baskin might be a hypocrite and she might have killed her husband. But we know what Joe Exotic has done. And if you think she's worse, there is something suspect about your character and you should right. examine it. Okay. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that she's I'm not saying that she's better. I'm just saying the things we know about him tip him over the edge of acceptability. Whereas okay. she might be immoral. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right. I think it's I mean, just a bit odd. I I'm a misogynist, so I'm allowed to hate her. So Yeah, you're allowed to. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah, what do you say about um because I haven't seen the show, so I, I yeah. can't I can't say with any certainty. But yeah, this hashtag going around, hashtag free Joe Exotic. No. Because he's in prison mm, now, right? Yeah, not a fucking chance. Not at all. Yeah. No. Okay. Why? Because we because he entertained us on this documentary series. Yeah. He try he paid a hitman to kill a woman. <laughs> no, he should be in jail. He's obviously a horrible human being. In fact, barring maybe one or two, everyone on the documentary is a horrible human being. Right. Everyone, they're all horrible people. Yeah, this whole big, ga- big game, big cat thing they've got going in America—they're just ho- on the fringes of society with their their automatic weapons and their compounds. It, you know, there's cult mentality, and you know there are like there's this other guy in the in the documentary that um, he clearly just has this harem of young women. They just keeps around him. It's a cult. This is utter vanity-driven cult complex and. 
they're all horrible people. But but Joe Exotic, he's got a mullet that's kind of got blonde highlights. <laughs> Fucking hell, you know. I, also, right. So they released. You know, they were gonna. They were releasing that episode a week after they yeah, released. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just a. That's like an after show Talking Dead, Talking Bad style special uh, hosted by Joel McHale. <laughs> right. Where okay. they just he just talks. He just talks via podcast uh, via Skype rather to there. Uh, that's now synonymous to me. Podcast and Skype. Uh, he talks via Skype to some of the people involved in the documentary, and it's like a, what was your favorite bit? Hey, this was a bias. Like, this is a real situation. These are real people. It's, such, it's the most misjudged thing I've seen in a very long time. Yeah, because I um, thought it was going to be like more content. I didn't think it was going to be like a like attacked on like no, post match. No, thing. it is. Yeah, it's just a post match analysis. And okay, so yeah, do you think that's like oh shit, this thing is like really popular all of a sudden? Let's like capitalize on that. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, okay. yeah. Um, I think it's okay because like 38 million people watched it. You know, it was ridiculous. Right. Uh, okay. But they're going to, aren't they? My my final analysis is it's a well-made documentary. It's perfectly, you know, by all means, watch it. I kind of recommend it on that level. But documentaries predated Netflix and there are better documentaries out there. Right. It's not all on Netflix. Okay. Yeah. For fuck's sake. Hasn't Community just gone up on Netflix? Yep. Oh, is it? Yeah, I'm yeah. just wondering why the hell Joe McHale? Like, the, why him? He hosts, um, he does host a show, is it The Soup or something like that, where he, it's a similar sort of thing. Okay, because Chris so, Hardwick hosts all of the talking bad and all that, doesn't he? Yeah, I think Joe McHale is the guy you get if you can't get Chris Hardwick. Right, okay. Yeah. We dive into the big one then. Okay. Yeah. So, season five. Well, worst one so far. Yeah, I, I would say. Yeah. yeah. Right. Eleventh hour. Yep. Well, it looks better, doesn't it? It so much better. Yeah. Yeah. It really has taken a leap. I know yeah. this is like when they started filming in HD, but the thing that I really noticed with this series, and something that definitely continues throughout Moffat's run, is like the quality of the filmmaking has gone up as well. Yeah. Like before, Doctor Who was sort of filmed like it was very typical of like television of that time, where mm. the camera didn't really. The camera just kind of floated around proceedings. It didn't. It wasn't a participant in the storytelling. Right. Whereas this, the the you know, there's like a moment towards the end of the episode where um, the doctor is sort of inviting Amy on his travels, and Amy's like, um, no, he says something, and she infers that he's lonely, and she's like, is that the only reason you want me to travel with you? It's because you're lonely. And the doctor goes, yes, and it sort of like cuts to a side shot where you can see the crack in Amy's wall mm. on the monitor of the TARDIS, right. thus implying that the mystery of the crack is the reason the Doctor is taking her with him. Right. That's a very minor example, but that's sort of what I mean by the filmmaking has improved as well. Visual storytelling. Yeah, it doesn't really feel... We've had moments of it in Doctor Who before, but it doesn't really feel like it's been a feature of Doctor Who before. Well, they seem to have hit the sweet spot between pre-HD with the Russell T. Davis era and what we've ended up with with the Jodie Whittaker... Uh, Chris Chimley, which is like Broadchurch, Stark, 
too cinematic for its own good in a way yeah yeah where, um, where, the, where it looks good the image fidelity is good mm-hmm. but also they're doing something with the episodes they're not just leaning they're not using the fact that they're recording with cinema great cameras as a crutch yes you know it's not a student film no no, no it's certainly not that yeah um okay so it's the that so far the best companion introduction yeah. episode i would yeah, say yeah absolutely because it because it's something new it's something we, new. I, we were talking about I don't know which episodes or which series you mentioned it in, but you were sort of saying about, like, you asked why all of his companions come from modern-day London. Yeah. And we said that, me and Eddie said, like, oh, that's a that's a big criticism of the show. Mm. Um, and even though um, Amy is a modern-day companion, yeah. she's not from London, and we don't meet her, and she just does a thing, and she's off with the Doctor. Like, it, yeah. it really does a great job of, like, imprinting the Doctor on her life. Like, it makes... By the end of that episode... It makes perfect sense that the two of them would travel space and time together. Yes, and it's a good it's a good idea for a companion of meeting her as a child, and then yeah, like you said, it's, it's sort of with her through her whole life. And yeah, yeah, it's sort of when you see it, it's kind of baffling because obviously we we've said before that Moffat really likes playing with time. Yes, in a way that T. Davis never really did, or not to the same extent, anyway. No, and when you see it, it's like why why have all the companions just been someone? that he's met as an adult that then decides to go with him. Yeah, Why yeah. haven't they done something like this before, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's obviously, it's a very, it's a very simple idea for an episode, but simple in a good way. Yeah. Um, Rory's batting, isn't he? <laughs> he couldn't be batting more if he tried. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like- well, Karen Gillan, I liked her, right? I like her, the character. I like the performance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We'll get to Matt Smith, but she... <laughs> It is occasionally, she is occasionally distractingly attractive. <laughs> it is occasionally. I don't, I don't think it helps that they put her in a police uniform. Mm, like a deliberately no, skimpy no, police uniform. No, that is very true. It did not help. Because yeah. well, I remember, wasn't that a criticism at the time that like she was too sexy or something? Yeah, well, like there's, there's episodes was... coming up as well, which I think garnered quite a few complaints yeah. because they, they leaned a bit too much into like the physicalness of yeah, yeah. a relationship between a companion and a doctor. We've, we've talked before about being able to appreciate... Uh, as just you know are you going to objectify uh, Karen Gillan there no is that no, no. This is going? As, as horny geek boy you know men we have before discussed uh, how it's easier to uh, appreciate an actress's performance if we don't find her physically attractive I mean that that just seems kind of obvious anyway doesn't it well yeah but I mean we've also had discussions about car- um, actor actresses who are very physically attractive yes. that turn in such a good performance that you transcending kind of- their beauty yeah, it's not yeah. that you forget they're beautiful, but it doesn't become, like, a feature of that character. Yes. Know? Well, this isn't one of those performances. Not to say it's not a good performance, but it's not the kind of performance where it can elevate her above her looks. Do you know what I mean? Right, okay. So, yeah, occasionally... You're the... saying she's just too beautiful. I'm saying that... She's okay, her acting she's ability. Ginger, I'm on board. Yeah, occasionally, occasionally, it's, it's a bit distracting. Okay. <laughs> how good-looking she is. Matt Smith is really good. I like him a lot. Oh, thank God. <laughs> we, we, we would have had a problem if you didn't like Matt Smith. <laughs> no, I do, I do like Matt Smith. Problem is, Eccleston is so long ago now, I can't compare them even. Right, okay. I think I still prefer Eccleston. I think I do. Okay. But I do like Matt Smith a lot. Um, this is what they used Olivia Coleman for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So this is 2010. Yeah. It's Tyrannosaur, Tyrannosaur was 2011. Yeah. And I don't know if that was her big break, but that was, was certainly like... Yeah. Oh, it was her big break. Yeah. Okay. Tyrannosaur her her big break. break in terms of um, 
oh being shit a this, dramatic this girl's actress. good yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah so the, yeah they didn't know i i you know it's all right a, a bit yeah at that point it would have been oh let's that woman off peep show and uh hot fuzz let's get her oh yeah do- no actually she was in peep show yeah. <laughs> like she wasn't like yeah. a like a bit part actress. No, no, she was known, but yeah, she wasn't yeah. we didn't know what she could do at that point. You know? Okay. Oh in that case, um, at least make her hadn't happened. at least make her the main face of Prisoner Zero. Yeah. Rather than just dude McBall <laughs> or whatever. Just the next one. Yeah. Th- it's it's not helped by the fact because when you think of Olivia Coleman, it comes in eras in a way. So like you've got Peep Show Olivia Coleman. But the fact that she's got the Tyrannosaur hairdo like that right. didn't, do you know yeah. what I mean it's like oh but this mm. is next sage Olivia Coleman. this is yeah, yeah. golden era it might even have Coleman. been the next thing she did to Rana she might have been filming it you know yeah exactly yeah so that was a bit distracting yes um, especially since I've seen people like when the idea of a female doctor had been floated before I think Olivia Coleman was one of the first people that yeah um, one of the first actresses where people were like oh we want her she'd be great for yeah. it yeah and you had the Broadchurch connection with Chibnall as well so mm-hmm. You know, they they end up reusing reusing Peter Capaldi. Why the hell not reuse random comatose woman? Yeah, you know? I mean, I suppose at this point she's an Oscar winner, isn't she? Like, she's not going to be doing Doctor Who. Is she? No, they they certainly missed her, their chance yeah. with Doctor Who. But yeah, it it is. I can't think. Maybe Stephen Fry from Series Twelve, but I can't think of a guest actor that they've wasted more than Olivia Coleman. There's there's another one in this season. Um, not as big a waste, but still, all things considered, a waste. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I think we know who you're on about. So yeah, we'll get to him. We'll get to that. Yeah. Um, it's a good. So you know, the big moment at the end where he confronts the eye. It's a good reintroduction to the character. And I remember the first time I saw that years ago, I liked it. Mm. It's a little bit cringe on the rewatch. Are you talking about basically run? Yeah. Oh no! How dare you? <laughs> It's a bit cringe. No, it, it, it is a little bit, George. No, just a why little is it bit. Cringe? It just is. I don't know. It's it's just a bit. I, I like the use of the faces of the, the yeah, that, faces. I, yeah. I like yeah, that's that very well done. And I like the yeah. sentiment. And I like the idea of him going to basically. It maybe it's the music. I think of him emerging from the faces. How dare you criticize Murray Gold's music? <laughs> We're now entering peak Murray Gold we? with okay. series five and like Matt Smith Capaldi era. So how dare you criticize you, you Murray's music? You know Doctor Who is always just like half a breath away from cringe at any given moment. It's, oh, it's got to tread yeah. lightly. Oh, yeah. I'm not, it wasn't bad. It was just a little bit. A smidge of cringe. <laughs> just a smidge of cringe. No. No, you were being silly, Sam. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, it feels a little bit older. Like, barring few a few moments throughout the season, it does feel a little bit older. In terms of uh, who it's playing to, you mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because you um, have like the one of the first scenes with Matt Smith is really like slapsticky. It's that montage yeah. of. I think that's what another thing I mean about like the quality of the filmmaking improved. Mm. You have like montages now. Like the show is edited more. Yeah. And it's not like Bohemian Rhapsody editing, where it's just like constant editing for the sake of it. Mm. It's like, oh, we're gonna have a scene where Matt Smith like, oh, food tastes weird. Like, how do we make that like kinetic and exciting and funny? You know. Yeah. But that's a very slapsticky, very youngish sort of scene it like. is maybe is the music of that ilk? also the music yeah the music is very like do, 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 yeah like very, it's like comical mm. maybe he just term. does it better than tenant i don't know because whenever that tenant would do that sort of thing it was just a uh you know right we'll talk about that a bit more actually because it sort of feeds into another point i've got later on okay but um that's sort of all i gotta say about this episode okay i i, I, re- I liked it a lot Right, okay. Yeah. And you asked at the end of the last series, like, are you ready for a reboot? Are you ready? Yeah. I didn't realise how much I wanted it as soon as it started. Oh, right, okay. Like, mm-hmm. oh, good, yeah. Like, 
restarting you know we're kind of yes after yeah, the yeah. run of that run of specials yes it yeah, nice yeah it's definitely reset, you know breath of fresh air um i'd always maintained that the 11th hour was my favorite episode of doctor who okay i think i'm gonna stick by that you prefer it to blink i prefer it to blink oh well that's mental. blink is blink yeah, is a hell yeah. of a contender yeah you're wrong <laughs> it's a hell of a contender <laughs> yeah but i, I don't know i just i was watching this episode again i was just like oh yeah it's just so okay. I, I love this it's good but it's no blink here's it's the, no like blink. blink okay blink was as remarkable as it is yeah ultimately it's a filler episode in the context okay. of series three it doesn't really have a place in series like it could it, you could have put it in series two series eight it could have gone anywhere you know yeah, yeah yeah yeah. all it really had to do was be a good episode and it did it remarkably yeah but don't you find that often the best episodes of most series are ones that work in isolation yeah, no, absolutely. I'm not disputing that at all. Yeah. The point I'm making is that that was Blink's one job. Just be a good episode of Doctor Who. And mm. it passed that test with flying colours. The 11th Hour had to be a good episode of Doctor Who. It had to introduce a new Doctor, new companion, new tone, new style. Mm. It had to basically, like, after the Russell T. Davis era and after David Tennant. Like, Russell T. Davis, who at the time was, like, a celebrated showrunner. And David mm. Tennant, who at the time was, like, a celebrated Doctor. There was, like, a whole group of people who stopped watching the show purely because David Tennant wasn't in it anymore. Right. Like they weren't even going to give Matt Smith the time of day mm-hmm. and it had to overcome that hurdle. And I think again, it does it. I, the 11th hour does it brilliantly. And the thing I love about it as well is it's so unapologetic. You can, it's not trying to like, you know, Oh, I know you miss David Tennant, but you give Matt Smith right. a chance. It's like, no, no, this is Matt Smith. This is Dr. Who now. Yeah. It's so confident in its presentation. Blink has that that sort of like that elusive quality of television and film as well, where it sort of has no, it's not charged in any direction. It doesn't feel like it's pandering to the audience. It doesn't feel like it's snarky. It doesn't feel like it's confident. It doesn't feel like it's trying too hard. It just, it's like Parasite in a sense, where it just kind of is, you know? Effortless, yeah. It's effortless, yes. And the 11th hour is not effortless, but it's confident. Yeah. And it's not, it's not cocky. And I think that is a very, very good thing for a show to I be. I don't, yeah, I won't deny its confidence um, and its execution. I just think on a script level, I suppose, Blink is kind of perfect. Yeah. Yes. And Blink is more obviously better written. Yeah. And it's self-contained sense. as well, isn't it? That, that, that's a big part of it. The Lamb Hour is a good yes. start. You know? Absolutely. It's not perfect. No, it's not perfect. A couple of imperfections I will uh, quickly highlight because, you know, I, I've sucked it stick long enough. I, on, I feel man. it's only fair to throw a couple of things out there. Prisoner Zero looks a bit crap. Oh, in its um, true form. Yes. yes. When it's yeah, that, it like, snake, whatever the hell it is. Like, snake, yeah. eel. Yeah, that's yeah. one hurdle they haven't quite overcome yet, is it? Yeah, yeah, this series in general, it does, like, the ambient CG a lot better when yeah. it's just sort of, like, the background. It's a bit ropey in uh, Hungry Earth, Cold Blood. We'll get to mm. all that. But the fully CGI creatures, Prisoner Zero included, they still haven't got their head around that no. yet. I don't no, think. They haven't, still looks no. a bit crap. Yeah. And it looked crap at the time. And also the problem, I think, with Prisoner Zero in his true form is, I, like, I understand the premise of Prisoner Zero, like, it being this shape-shifting creature that needs, like, a psychic link to its uh, to the person it's copying, which is why that person has to be in a coma. Yeah. I get all of that. But when it's in its snake form, I don't really know how the creature operates. Physically. Yeah, because it always seems to be hanging from the ceiling, which is a weird detail. Yeah. But also just, like, I don't know if... Prisoner Zero in his true form is intelligent. I don't know if it's like a feral beast. I don't know. Yeah. Basically, the Weeping Angels, you understand them completely. 
Yes. You know, they're, they're sort of, they're hunters and you understand the method in which they hunt perfectly. Mm. Prisoner Zero, I'm still not entirely sure how he operates and what sort he of creature he is. whatever the plot needed. Yeah, there's a bit of that. I, I th- yeah, I think I think it's a, a function, isn't it, of, like you said, it had to do all those things. It's the same with the mannequins. It's like, it doesn't really matter in this episode what the villain is. Well, the difference is the Autons were a classic villain. So there was some okay. groundwork that they were building on, whereas Prisoner Zero is a completely original Okay, um, but concept. that, you know, the principle that the villain doesn't... Re- it's not what matters in this episode. It's, no. we need a threat. Yeah, yeah. Let's just do a thing. And then, but it's really, we need to do all these other things, you know? Yeah. Um, no, that's fair enough. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I was going to say is I love, I think the the structure and the pace of this episode is brilliant. Right. Considering that it's longer than most episodes. It's about an hour long, yeah. I think. Yeah. Considering that it's longer as well, you don't feel its length. The only thing I would change, I would get rid of the pre-title teaser with Matt Smith, where it picks up immediately after the end of time, where Matt Smith is in the crashing TARDIS. Yes, that's a bit goofy. I think the episode would benefit massively from starting outside of Amelia's house. So you sort of meet Matt Smith as soon as she meets Matt Smith. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think that just would have been a cleaner way of introducing that character. Yeah. Rather than this weird, like, he's David, like he's just after David Tennant and he's in the TARDIS yeah. and ooh, it's goofy. And it's trying to, it's, it's doing what the teaser is supposed to, isn't it? It's really trying to grab you with action. Yes. Um, but yeah, I agree. It would have been better. It would have felt cleaner as well. It would have felt cleaner. And also, I think, like, um, it would have been a little bit into the episode, but I think when, um, after you've had that scene with Matt Smith where he's, like, eating all of the food and he ends up with fish fingers and custard. Yeah. And he's like, you're not scared, are you, Amelia? And she's like, no. And he's like, well, you know what I think? I think that must be a hell of a scary crack in your wall. Yeah, yeah. If you're not scared of all this. Mm -hmm. I think that would have been a great moment to go to credits. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That Um, did make me gag. Oh, did it? Uh, fish fingers and custard. Oh, right. <laughs> I think yeah, yeah. meant that line. Yeah, not the, not, yeah. Okay. Um, and I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that was actually fish fingers and custard he was eating. It, 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 it was. He, yeah. he, he, Matt Smith legitimately likes fish fingers and custard. And I have to say, it isn't as bad as you think. Oh, it definitely is. Why have you tried it, Eddie? <laughs> it's, it is weird. Right. But I, I, I ate it during uni. <laughs> Purely, yeah, thing, purely, but after having rewatched that episode at right. the time. Okay. Okay. So I ate it with a friend of mine, and I was like, "Oh, it's not bad." But then I used to, when I was in school, I used to have cold custard and salt and vinegar and Pringles, and think that tasted oh, quite nice. Oh, so God. <laughs> I'm gonna be sick onto the screen. <laughs> uh. Uh, so yeah, eleventh hour. Obviously, massive thumbs up for me. I yeah, it's my favorite episode of Doctor Who. Okay. I'm just gonna make it make it known. Right. Okay. It's a thumbs up. Yes. Okay. Good, good. Uh, do I hear my alternate titles? Oh, yeah, go for it. I think the 11th hour is one of the, those ones that, yeah, that's what I would have gone with had I thought of it. The 11th hour seems about right. Yeah, it's sort of the perfect title. Yeah. The, my titles for this season are substantially weaker <laughs> than they have been okay. before. Because the titles that the legitimate titles are better in quality or because... Oh, no. Okay. There, there's the odd one where it's like, yeah, I, I would stick with that. But mostly, like Vincent and the Doctor is a fucking shit title. Right. I know, I know okay. why it's called that. But um, no, it just felt like I had to try harder. I will say the more we got into the season, fatigue did start to develop a little bit. Okay. Um, so maybe I was sort of trying less, you know, to think of a good title. Right. Uh, but okay. this, yeah, this one's probably the worst. <laughs> I think my options are uh, Ponds 11 rather than Oceans, <laughs> rather than Oceans 11. Oh, um, <laughs> Fatal Atraxy. And uh, Flower of Scotland, and that's the one I would have gone with because you've got Moffat and uh, Karen Gillan. 
right. being introduced. So I would have gone with Flower of Scotland. Ah, I'm going to stick with 11th Hour. If it's all yeah, the same I, yeah, I concede that one. I would stick with the 11th Hour. Okay. Uh, the Beast Below. Yes, okay. So there's some more traumatizing children. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Moffat is definitely a big fan of that. Yes, he yeah. is. Um, so the Doctor fucked Elizabeth first then. Yeah. Because <laughs> that comes up a few times. Okay, well, yeah, that's season. an interesting point, actually. I, I, It might be a note I've made later for, like, a later episode. Yeah. As we'll discuss as well in Flesh and Stone, they they seem to be going. They seem to be not deliberately not sexualizing Matt Smith in any way. Yeah, like he almost seems oblivious to the notion of sex in a way. Mm-hmm. And yet they've got lines like that where it's like, "Oh, you fucked Elizabeth the first, you bad bad yeah. boy," and like really sexy kind of like you know, Virgin Queen. Yeah, um, right. Like, oh, you you crushed puss, Matt Smith. Yeah, and then you see Matt Smith, and he's just like, "Sex, oh no, get it away from me." Yeah, it's a weird. Uh, it's weird. I don't know why they I did that. Either. Obviously, it calls back to him, them running away from her, doesn't it? In um, the Shakespeare Ode. Is that the one? Shakespeare Code. Code. Yeah, yeah. Ode was the title that Code. I... Um, the chapter title. Yes, it was. Okay. Yeah, I like Matt Smith. I like Karen Gillan. It's a good concept. You know, the Queen being who she is. Uh, Star Whale. Britain as a starship. I like all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I really like the comparison they draw between the Doctor and the Whale. Yes, I really like that. I th- I... I think this is an episode that I like better on paper than in execution. Mm. Really, the point of this episode is, in the 11th hour, it firmly established why Amy would want to travel with the Doctor. Yeah. This episode is kind of about Amy proving herself to the Doctor as to why she should be a permanent companion. Yeah. And I like that the way they do that is she basically proves to him that she understands him. Yeah. Like, that's how she saves the day. She draws that parallel between the Star Whale and the Doctor. Yeah, I thought um, that was just a really um, nice kind of resolution to it, talking about that, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, am I right? I think at the end of this episode, he gets the call from Churchill, right? Yes. yes. Right, how time works relative to that phone call, is that just a don't think about it? Because... <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. Um. Well, no. They, do, they, do they sort of address it? Like in the Pandorica opens, because Churchill calls River Song in the par- in the Pandorica opens. Doesn't yeah, he? I think there's like a throwaway line about oh the TARDIS is smart. Yeah, it can like connect phone calls that need to be made or something like that. I mean, like we've already had like Rose, Martha, Donna. They've been able to call their families on their mobile phones when they're like billions of years apart. You know. Yeah, but it doesn't make sense. <laughs> I know what you're saying. If if Churchill is calling the Doctor in 1940. Yeah. Why doesn't the Doctor receive that phone call in 1940? Or just wh- why, whenever he is, you know. Uh, but that, that's obviously, I don't think about it. It is a complete thing. I don't know. It's the idea that, like, if uh, Churchill and the Doctor part ways, mm. and then two months later Churchill makes a phone call, two months later in Matt Smith's time, yeah. he would receive the phone call. Yeah, maybe. That's the only uh, only way I can see it working. Because yeah, otherwise yeah, you yeah. do just be like, oh, fuck, get away from me, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, that's kind of all I got to say about this one. Yeah, it's an all right episode. I, I, I said that like if it's a, if this is a I suspect it's forgettable in the grand scale grand scheme of things. But if this is what forgettable is, we're kind of laughing. Yeah, um, yeah. I like the smilers, the the things in the booth yeah, that like rotate. Mm. They had those at the Doctor Who experience, like when that was a thing, right? Where you could sort of like walk up to them and like you could walk up to the booth and look at the booth and stuff. And they are genuinely effective in person as well, right. even though it even though it wasn't doing its you know, head rotatey thing. Mm-hmm. Just seeing it in the booth, you're like, oh no, I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, they were pretty good, pretty good villains. Mm. All told, a thumbs up. Okay, All I right. did quite like it. I, it's it's not a bad title as well. 
But I have, of course, come up with alternatives. Of course you have. Uh, so we've got Starship Snoopers. Um, <laughs> un- <laughs> right. United King Vom. <laughs> My okay. like, sincere one is The Last and The Kind. Since they're the last of its kind, the last and the kind. That's not bad. Um, uh, I kind of like and that. And RSPC Alien. That's, <laughs> that's the other one. But yeah, probably go with the last and the kind. Yeah. Okay. Victory of the Daleks. Okay. Yep. So this is a Gatus penned episode. It is another period Gatus episode. Yeah. Not not in the same fashion, because it doesn't ravel in its period as much as the other ones have. No. But like it, It's kind of half blighty, blitzy, churchily, yeah. and a half really not that, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's still a gatus. Uh, what's the name of the bloke who plays Churchill? Ian McNeese. Yes. He's all right. He, he's kind of, it's sort of a Churchill <laughs> cosplay more than an actual performance, but that's kind of all it needed to be. Oh, I like Churchill. I like Ian McNeese's Churchill. But it, it is just doing a Churchill, isn't it? You know, well, it, yes. it's not it's not John Lithgow in the Crown. Right. It's just have, it's having two chins and don't do and talking like that. You know. Well, yeah, that's what Churchill was. But that's not. <laughs> but that that is just like a fancy dress version of Churchill. Okay. But like I said, it's all it needed to be, so that's not a criticism. Yeah, I kind of like that they they've sort of got like a little bit of a bromance, the Doctor and Churchill. Yeah, I quite like that relationship. I don't feel mm. like we've seen that before. Where a doctor sort of has like a pre-existing relationship with a historic with it with only, an historical only figure. Only the Virgin Queen. Apart from that, yeah. But even then, that's sort of implied. That's not like yeah. deliberately addressed. It's always like you go to a place and you meet them for the first time. The fact that he's already like buddy buddy with Churchill. Yeah, which like, makes oh, sense because nice. Churchill, you know, one of the most famous figures of history, arguably. So yes, they would have crossed paths many a time. You'd think. Yeah, yeah, and he probably would have liked him as well, given that the Doctor's always hanging around London. Yeah, they're both British institutions, aren't they? Yeah. Um, yeah. Right, how's a Dalek making tea? Explain that one to me. <laughs> I know I can hold it, but how the fuck's a Dalek making a cuppa? Explain that one to me. I think that's just the general problem with the Daleks, isn't it? Whenever, like, the Daleks show up and we've like, oh, we've built this crucible. Yeah. How? How did you <laughs> yeah, build it's... a thing, you know? But you can sort of write that off as... Well, I don't know how you build a crucible, so I don't really know how they would have done it. Whereas making tea, I'm picturing a Dalek making tea, and it's not—it's not a pretty picture. Do you know what I mean? Okay. It's just knocking yeah. shit over, <laughs> scalding itself. You know. No, you would atta- you attach. So they put the suction cup on the kettle. Oh yeah, it's got a little whisk, isn't it? It'll just whisk it's got the tea. Whisk. Suction yeah. cup. Suction cup on the kettle. Right. Lift it up. To use that to put to pour it, <laughs> it's just rotating into the mud. How, suction cup will rotate. Water, how how is it putting a tea bag into a cup? So it picks it up with the suction cup and drops it in the mug. Milk picks up the carton with the suction cup and drops it. In the <laughs> so, mug. so it just has. A- That's your answer for everything, isn't it, Eddie? The fucking <laughs> suction cup. cup. Yeah. <laughs> you suction slut. You and that suction cup, Eddie. That's, that's a real problem. <laughs> wow. So what? They just, so they have like a grabber that just sucks in anything they want to pick up. Yeah, I guess. Right? Yeah. Okay. Still, I feel because it takes. Some- You're not supposed to think about the mechanics of a Dalek's making tea. You're supposed to enjoy when the Dalek asks whether people want some tea. Yes. You're supposed to enjoy the domesticated. I Daleks, know I'm supposed so. to enjoy that, but the fact is, I mean, you're going to, aren't you? Don't when the the Dalek wanders off. Don't, aren't you then thinking, how is he making? How is he going to make a cup of tea? No, I, I think come back, domesticated Dalek. Uh, okay, I want more of your tomfoolery. Maybe that's the fundamental difference then between our viewing experiences. Maybe. Okay. Well, I mean, because it takes him an, an average human amount of time, and I just feel like it would at least take longer <laughs> when you count for all the spillages and short circuitry, you know. If you want to talk about, like, details, like, minute details not working, I like mm. that the um, 
the World War uh, Two Daleks have like little bags covering over their their lights, their ear lights, right? Presumably, so like the lights don't light up and attract the enemy's attention. Okay, but aren't the Daleks just like loud as fuck anyway? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if that is for like stealth purposes, you know, it's not gonna do much good if the Dalek is like barking orders or yeah. Whatever. Plus, at, yeah. The, at the point the episode is depicting, aren't we, we've sort of we're done with the hiding, aren't we? I mean, it's like full scale aerial. Oh yeah, like, war is kind of happening. Yeah, was <laughs> it? We're on, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Doctor definitely feels angrier than he has before. Yes, um, I like that. Yeah, and I think that's an, yeah, I think he does it well. Matt Smith does a lot well. I'm, I'm, I don't want to just devolve into saying yes, Matt Smith does this thing well. Yeah, no, he, do, he does do this he does. well because, like I said, when Tennant would get serious, I would it would kind of I'd snort a little bit, you know. Yeah. Um, whereas I don't as much with Matt Smith. Mm. Um, Is that um, because? Like with David Tennant, I think a lot of people sort of had an idea of David Tennant going into the Doctor. Mm. You in particular as well, because you've seen his career after Doctor Who as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Matt Smith hasn't really done anything since Doctor Who, and he uh, did basically crown. nothing before. Oh, so yeah, he, he, I mean, other than the Crown, but like we don't have the same like catalogue of uh, Matt Smith than we do with David Tennant. I've probably seen more Matt Smith in other things than I have in Doctor Who. Oh, okay. I don't know. I, that, maybe that's the case for me more than it is okay. for you. But just, like, I don't have, like, my only real exposure to Matt Smith is through Doctor Who, yeah. so he is just that character rather than this actor I know portraying this character. Yes, and your age probably when you first saw it. Yeah, that as well, I imagine. Um, Keep buggering on. Yes. The maxim of the gay community in the 80s, of course. Oh, no. In, <laughs> in, in defiance of AIDS. You know what? Keep buggering on. Okay. Uh, that's all I've got to say about this one. Oh, okay. Uh, it, it's the weakest Gatiss episode, in my opinion. Oh, I quite liked it on the rewatch. Did you? What did yeah, you like I thought it was quite fun. Fun little episode. The I don't like the the new Paradigm Daleks. Well, the, what, the multicolored Daleks? Yeah, they're a bit shit. I like I, I like. No, those. they're not good. <laughs> the base-boosted like rainbow Daleks, and they look like they have hunchbacks. They It's not a good design. <laughs> the, just, only, like the only... The, um, the only virtue of that design is that they are bigger and bulkier, so they're more imposing. Mm, mm-hmm. But yeah, whatever that like um, vent that they've put on the back of them, it looks like they've got a hunchback. Right. They've got this like rainbow bullshit going on. Yeah. And the voice is so bassy. It does literally sound right. like they've bass boosted them. It's so bassy. Yeah, I don't like them. And okay. I, I um, is it a spoiler, Eddie, to sort of say that uh, what what happens to them? Well, I can't remember what happens to them. Well, nothing happens to them. We see them again. Is that the spoiler? Yeah. Right. But that's that's become the trend with Doctor Who now. What they introduce mean? the thing and then nothing ever comes of it. Yeah, but it feels particularly noticeable with the Daleks. Like, they've deliberately set up this new paradigm of Daleks. Paradigm. Where it's like, you know, the drone. Paradigm. Right. Okay. Sorry. No, no, <laughs> um, no. Um, but yeah. I, like, I just want to quickly um, jump in. I, would, I don't usually correct. I don't like... I'm not that much of a dickhead where I will correct people misspeaking right but i just felt like you were going to say it a lot more i didn't want you to right okay yeah okay that's fair enough uh yeah but they've deliberately set up like you know this is the drone this is the scientist this is the eternal and they're color-coded so you can deliberately tell them apart Mm -hmm. and then that's it like they sort of bring back the old daleks after that we don't really we see them now and again but they're always just like in the background Maybe they introduced it and then just thought, yeah, nah, actually. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not, it just didn't work, you know? Yeah, exactly. So they course corrected. But... Uh, yeah, yeah. The, I I like, yeah, domesticated Daleks are fun. Mm-hmm. And it's nice that Moffat's, Moffat seems to be, like, cleaning house a little bit. Like, he seems to be doing a really good job of just, like, knowing what needs to be done. 
You got the eleventh hour, which is um, like introducing the Doctor and the companion. The second episode is sort of establishing the reason why this companion is important to the Doctor and why she's worthy of traveling with the Doctor. Mm. And then his next port of call is to basically reboot the Daleks. Yeah, we can't keep doing. Oh, this is the last Dalek. This is the last of the Daleks. This is the final thing of the. Yeah. Da- like no, the Daleks are just back. They just do a thing that allows them to basically start over. Yeah. So now we can potentially do infinite Dalek stories, you know? Mm-hmm. You don't have to keep buying this Last of the Daleks bullshit. You never do, though, you know? I know you do, but it's nice that, like, he was like, no, no I want to... So you never do. I want to I give myself room to breathe with, with the Daleks, you know? Yeah. What's up, you podcast listening sons of bitches? Tis I, future I, once again. Uh, don't know what happened to Sam's audio here. Maybe it's further proof that the laptop was just fucking with us but it basically bass-boosted his audio into oblivion, and it was completely unusable. The audio does quickly rectify itself, but for the next couple of minutes, Sam's audio is going to have to be dubbed over, just so you know why there's a sudden change. Was there anything else you had to say about it? Yeah, I have one more point. Uh, the editing felt a little bit off in this episode. I don't know if either of you noticed that. No. No. I don't know how... It just felt like they were cutting away from shots just a little bit too late, and they were sort of there were silences that were lasting a little bit longer than they should have. Right. Like... When the Doctor first meets Churchill, and Churchill's like, oh, I want the key. Yeah. Um, and the Doctor's like, ha! Like, there's that moment where they're sort of like, ah, I know what you want, Churchill. You, ah, you bloody rascal, you. Yeah. Um, that feels very slow compared to, like, the episodes that have come before. The interaction feels a bit like, you know, stop and start. Okay. And there's moments as well, like, when Danny Boy is um, circling back to attack, attack the Dalek ship. It's sort of like he's like, Danny Boy to the Doctor, I'm going in for another round. And then there's sort of like a few, uh, there's like a couple of seconds where it's just sort of hanging on that shot of Danny Boy. Right. And then it cuts into the TARDIS and there's a couple of seconds of Matt Smith just sort of standing there before he responds to Danny Boy. Right. I only, I yeah, I only really noticed it in this episode, but it just felt like, I don't know whether they were trying to sort of pad the runtime a little okay. bit. It's like, oh, we're, we're like two minutes short. Let's like cut a little later to get that timing back up. Yeah. But it just felt a little bit off. The editing. Okay. But other than that, I thought it was a fun little... It was a fun little episode. I, you know, I, I would recommend it. What would oh, you... Oh, broadly, I'd give it a thumbs up, yeah. Yeah. Do you recommend it, Eddie? It's it's alright. It's not my favourite use of the Dalek. No, it's certainly not. But um, it was a little bit different. Yeah, and again, like I said, I like the idea of the episode. That it's sort of like, right, let's sort out the Daleks, you know? Okay. So my alternate titles? I've got The Rainbow Coalition. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Colors out of space, which I quite like. I, I see the the angle you've taken with these uh, with these titles. Ha ha ha! No, it's just those two. Okay. Union crack. Right. And the most accurate D Day. I think I quite like. Oh yeah, that's a mm. that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, I like that one. Okay. So I think we should talk about the next episodes as one. Okay. All yeah. right. So the time and angel, the time of angels and flesh and stone. Yes. This is all going to be one discussion. Okay. All right. So it's quite a weird context for the angels to reappear, but I like it. But it is unusual. Well, it's sort of I re- I remember seeing something uh, that said that Moffat, obviously when he took over showrunner, one of the first things he wanted to do was bring the weeping angels back because yeah. they're his baby as well. It's not just. Oh, it's a popular monster I can reference. It's like, oh, it's a, it's my creation. I can work with that. Yeah. And I think the angle he took, he said he sort of drew inspiration from Alien. So if Blink was Alien, the time of angels and flesh and stone is aliens, if that makes sense. Well, 
I feel quite clever then because that's one of my notes. Oh shit! All right, okay. <laughs> I wrote, it's the aliens to Blink's alien. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, and that's exactly what he wanted. Yeah. Well, yes. So it's a, it's a much more action-heavy variant as opposed yes. to the more horror-inflected Blink, which I suppose is nice because there's there's there are moments in this episode in which the angels are still effective as a horror villain. Yeah. But I don't know if like doing another horror two-parter, well, doing a horror two-parter with the angels would sort of get a bit tiresome towards the end yeah the horror would kind of wane away so it's sort of nice to get ahead of the curve in that respect yeah uh is it southern down yes okay we should start tallying when southern down <laughs> shows up because it they use it a lot i think we've i think we've already seen it like four or five times in the show okay is it used for the rose doctor goodbye yes okay All right. <laughs> and i think it's been used on a different occasion as well but yes okay. it shows up in this episode and it will show up in many more <laughs> okay that's one spoiler I'll give away. Uh, well, his anger is much more palatable and believable yes. in this incarnation, definitely. Yeah, I was watching it. I was definitely happier, <laughs> like with the, with okay. the experience of watching it. So it feels like there's overall less to say, but it's kind of its slickness may account for that. Um, okay, because mm. the hodgepodgeness is gone. It feels less messy. Yes, and so maybe as a result, it feels like there's less to talk about. But I was definitely at this point in the season more content watching it okay but seeing them move is a bad call oh yes yep yeah flesh and stone in particular kind of ruins the weeping angels i think a little bit yeah i really like the way that they used in time of angels the first part i think the scene with amy in the like the little um truck or whatever it is where she's looking at the footage of the angel yes yeah that was probably the last scene that i was legitimately scared of the weeping angels right bear in mind obviously i was like um 15 i think when this episode (laughs) is or something like that that's not a child is it that's like (laughs) i didn't say i was a child i said it was the last time i was legitimately (laughs) scared. no but that's that's what that justification was there you're like it's the last time i was scared of them bear in mind i was 15 I didn't say it with shame, though, Sam. You okay. added the shame in the right. recital of that bit. No, um, yeah, I, they, they were genuinely scary, and it's a really scary idea. And I like the idea of um, the one defense mechanism you have against the Weeping Angel is you have to look at it. Yeah. But even looking at it is deadly mm-hmm. because it can sort of climb inside your mind. And because yeah. the image of an angel is an angel, the memory of the Weeping Angel itself becomes a Weeping Angel. Mm-hmm. I get that that's terrifying. Like the one defense mechanism you have against this creature is now a weapon that this creature can use. Right. I think that's a really effective idea. But the weeping angels like snapping people's necks and sort of reanimating portions of their consciousness. Yeah. And the weeping angels moving while they're in their stone form. Yeah. And the implication that the weeping angels can sort of control. Like if the weeping angels can control when they turn to stone then surely the eight, the angels at the end of Blink were never defeated. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, it, the way they show them moving in Blink is like stop motion effectively, isn't it? Yes. You know, it's like they're there, then they're there, then they're there. And it's just really quick. But you don't actually see them move. Yeah, you never see them physically yeah. move. You just, like, when the lights come on, they're in a different position. Yeah. yeah. And when you see their head, the head turn in this episode, it's felt really wrong. I mean, A, because the graphics are a little bit ropey. Well, you say that. That's like a physical actor. That's not a no, CG no, no. There's a moment where the, like the head turns, and that's definitely not an actor. No, or there's at least a CG augmentation, definitely. Maybe, maybe just to sort of get the speed of it right, to smooth but it the, out. Yeah, yeah. But they are the Weeping Angels. They do have a couple of statues, but if you look at the behind the scenes stuff, the Weeping Angels are physical actors. Okay, 
which is one one of the things that are so impressive about them is that it's all basically makeup. Okay, but there's definitely. I think the the, the very first moment you see one kind of turn, it felt a bit iffy. Okay. Yeah. So obviously we're talking about this as a whole now. The yes. part. It's a weird ending. I don't know what the fuck they were thinking with that ending. Uh, with him and Amy in her. Oh bedroom. yes. Yeah. That's really misjudged. I think. I don't know whether that's supposed to. Um... You said that in Smith and Jones, you liked that they sort of promised that there wasn't going to be a romantic thing between Martha and the Doctor. They go on to break it, but you like the fact that that promise was implemented. Yeah. Maybe this is Stephen Moffat's promise. Like, it's not going to be Amy and the Doctor in love. It's going to be something else. Maybe, but it just after that episode, I don't know what the thinking was there. Okay. Maybe like, oh, because we just had this horrible death-defying experience, we're going to... The relief of it is going to sort of propel it, but... Yeah. It just... A prerequisite for companions seems to be contempt for monogamy, doesn't it? What? <laughs> a prerequisite <laughs> for companions... Yeah, no, what do, what, what do you mean by that? Well, they all they all have boyfriends, and they all instantly don't care about them anymore. Okay. It's but all that, kissing the doctor, falling in love with the doctor. That sort of becomes the, the thrust of the season, though, doesn't it? It's sort of like... We've, yeah. we've taken the time to get to know Amy and the doctor. Now we're going to introduce Rory, which is next episode. Yeah. Like, properly introduce Rory. And then that sort mm. of becomes what the rest of the season is. It's the relationship. Yeah, kind of. The triangle of the Doctor, Rory, and Amy. It can never outright be... I, they kind of did it with Donna. There's nothing here romantic. They they haven't done really done that yet. And no. I don't know. It's like fidelity is lacking in Doctor Who companions. It's like you can't... <laughs> just get a bloke. Get a bloke that's not gay. Maybe that will uh, solve the problem. Well, I mean, Amy makes it clear that, like, it's just sex. She just wants sex. That's still infidelity. No, no, it's still infidelity, but it's not like she's romantically invested in the Doctor now. She's like, no, I just want to fuck because I just I nearly died. That doesn't mitigate my critique. <laughs> it also doesn't hold up after that episode. How so? Because she definitely has a thing for him. Does she? She, yeah, she, she, it does she does. A, a you know, times. she does allude to the idea of the fact that Rory a hundred percent thinks that she wants the Doctor, and she is like. Well, yeah. Yeah, it does come up a couple of times. I don't know. Um, I mean, that's sort of it. It's a, it's a good two-parter. I liked it. Yeah. Uh, the ending is a bit not good. Um, <laughs> but no, I did. I liked it. I enjoyed it. Even with the um, the demolition of, of Weeping Angels lore? Yeah. Still got Blink. Yeah, yeah, we still got Blink. That, that, that's the... That, yeah. Whenever we have a Weeping Angels episode from here on out, it's like, oh, well, we've got Blink. Yeah, exactly. Is, are there more Weeping Angel episodes? Uh, well, there obviously are. <laughs> You'd say no if it was no, so there obviously are. Are there? Yeah, I don't know if there are. It might be. George, you go remember who you're talking to. <laughs> I say, no, the fact is, George's response was, oh, yes, there are, and I legitimately don't remember anymore, so that's interesting. Oh, okay. All right. I won't say any more about it then. But there are more, though. They turn up again. Well, I won't say any more about it. Again, okay. remember who you're talking to, someone who doesn't care about the series. <laughs> it's oh, not a, shit. Yeah, it's not okay. I've just, re- I've just remembered where they yeah, show up. Yeah, just remembered, yeah. <laughs> right, they come back then. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. My bad. Eddie, what do you what do you think about this two-parter? Um, I, I like the first half. Yeah. I don't particularly care for the second part, but as badly misjudged as that ending is, I 100% would have just gone for it and said, fuck it, that's Shagger Ginger. <laughs> yeah, he's clearly not human. <laughs> he didn't fuck Aaron yeah. Killen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um Oh yeah, what do we think of River Song? Because River Song is also um also returns in this episode. I mean I like her. 
in general. Yeah, so. I don't, I don't uh, dislike the character. Okay, I'm kind of ambivalent about her, I suppose. Okay. <laughs> I don't have an well, opinion that, about then. her, you know. You you will form an opinion of her. That's all I will say. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because Moffat sort of. Um, I mean, they, they they basically say at the end of the episode, and she does return in later in the season. The River Song is sort of like another, sort of, yeah, like a returning character as well through Matt yeah. Smith's tenure. So she's kind of here to stay. But are you, uh, does that uh, disappoint you? Are you upset that River Song is here to stay? No. Okay. Yeah, I don't know why I phrased it like I that. I don't. I, I think I'm trying to get, I know. I'm trying to get something out of it. I know. Here. I don't, you go, I do not have any emotional investment in any of this stuff. Right. So I'm, there's nothing like I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited about this. I dislike, there's not much in the way of that. You know what I mean? Unfortunately, okay. it is just, was this a good episode? So when you're you're asking me like what are your feelings about this companion? I I really have feelings <laughs> about <laughs> about the show. It's thoughts about the show, you know. Right. Okay. Um. So yeah, she's okay. She River Song is okay. Uh. All right. Decent character, but I have no feelings towards her. Okay. All right. Okay. A couple of minor things. According to the Doctor, we are facing an enemy of unknown evil. That's what uh Father Octavian says to one of the characters. Mm. Are the angels evil? Would you call the Weeping Angels evil? Well, I mean, in in this, they snap your neck, partially reanimate your soul, and then make you talk to people. Yeah, no, in this instance, they do perform more kind of overtly villainous actions. But prior to this, like, the Weeping Angels were just kind of scavengers. They were just hunters, weren't they? I wouldn't have called them evil. No, I mean, well, what I find interesting, if I'm remembering correctly, is in this episode, the Doctor says something like, we're dealing with the most evil beings ever created, or something like that, the evolution ever evolved something like that but he says basically exactly the same thing about the daleks in the preceding episode yes yeah yeah just hot on the heels of that i remember thinking oh okay yeah i don't know yeah the evil uh the evil the angels i never got the sense they were malevolent it's more just no yeah it's how they feed it's just part of their ecosystem you know yeah i mean they're, they're clearly clever yeah but at the end of the day they are just kind of animals in a sense in yeah, a way. Th- I, I guess that's probably a function of the success of Blink um, and, you know, it's their popularity with the fans. And so when we bring them back, they have to be the ultimate evil. Because, yeah, in um, in this two-parter, they, you know, they torment him. Yes, that they're deliberately trying to antagonize Yeah, yeah, the so, oh, just so you know, he died in agony, you know. Yeah. You meant to go, oh, right, okay. Yeah, they're fucking evil. But yeah, that was definitely absent from uh, Blink. So that's either a function of... They were so popular that when we bring them back, they've got to be the ultimate evil. Or in trying to expand their mythology, um, that was kind of the only way of doing it, you know, of making them a bit more malevolent. But Yeah, I definitely... I'm not going to say that it was a misunderstanding of the Weeping Angels because mm. Moffat created the Weeping Angels. So yeah. it, ultimately, who are we to say that he misunderstood his own creation? Yeah. But yeah, I definitely feel like the evil... The angels being evil, that was not apparent from their first appearance. You no, know? yeah. And also they're kind of like... Again, kind of with like with Prisoner Zero, I never really knew whether the angels were like like this. Yeah, like you say, like these malevolent beings. Mm. I won't. I mean, this is a spoiler, but you're never going to watch it. Like in Class, which is a spin-off of Doctor Who, yeah, yeah, yeah. that started during Capaldi's run. There's like a running threat throughout the series, or there's sort of the idea or implication that there are these like beings that are sort of like responsible for all of the monsters that are showing up and they're sort of controlling everything from behind the scenes and that's revealed to be the weeping angels and that feels like a complete misuse of the villain yeah i I think it's part of it is inflation as well of like you have blink and let's just go with the matrix as comparison 
you have that idea and you have four of them right so it's this yeah. neat little horror idea sort of thing yeah and then we've got thousands of them and they're an army you know and yeah i get what he's trying to do with the aliens thing but then the matrix reloaded you've got keanu reeves fighting the infinite smiths like within the law of that universe it makes complete sense there's like you've jumped the shark a little bit here yes you've, yeah, you've exactly. run with the concept when you already kind of nailed it um you didn't need to i mean it, i guess it would have been weird not to see the weeping angels again but he sort of nailed it on the first take you know what i mean it's like you yes, sort of did that yeah, exactly. the best it could be done so but we'll see for the next appearance i guess okay um, the other thing as well, low level perception filter or not, <laughs> if you're in a maze, if you're being hunted by murderous statues yeah. and you're in a labyrinth full of statues honoring a two headed race and the statues don't have two heads, I feel like you notice a lot quicker than the doctor and river. Yes. Do. It's, it's not gonna, it's not gonna occur to you when uh, it's convenient for the plot. No, it's not. <laughs> it's gonna yeah. be readily. You got to immediately yeah. notice, oh shit, we're in a maze of murderous statues, yes. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So my alternate titles for the, this took me a while because obviously you've got like the militarized priests, you've got the angels, you've got Oh yeah, that's an interesting that's interesting. Yeah, that's like a detail, isn't it? I know it's a, yeah, but it, the fact that it's just a detail is kind of interesting yeah. as well. Yeah. I think that was a neat little thing of like, we'll have soldiers and because they're angels, wouldn't it be cool if it was priests versus angels? And so Oh we'll, also, isn't there a character in Alien called Bishop? Yeah. There is, yeah. So I don't know whether that's sort of like a like a, a reference, maybe. Very probably. Yeah. I think it'd be unusual if it wasn't. Hmm. Yeah, so because you've got the angels, the priests, and like almost like a Garden of Eden style thing, uh, like, you know, this yeah. oasis or whatever, um, I was trying to think of a good religious title okay. for the episode. So it took me a while, but this is <laughs> this is where I ended up. So based- Jesus wept? No, it's not Jesus wept. Because uh, weeping angels? So there's a quote, uh, okay. fools rush in where angels fear to tread. Um, okay. And then at one point, uh, Father Octavian says, "Brothers, we are treading where the saints have trod." Uh, so for that, I've gone with uh, "Where Angels Tread" as a possible title. Yeah, all right. And uh, are you familiar with "Onward, Christian Soldiers"? The song "Onward, Christian Soldiers." Am, no. Okay. Uh, well, obviously they are Christian soldiers. Um, and I was looking up the lyrics for that, and it references uh, this through countless a- ages, men and angels sing. And at the very end of the song, it mentions this is our triumph song, and especially with River Song in it. I'm going to call it the triumph song. Which episode now? Both. So it'd be part one, part two. I would just name the whole thing. Oh, I see. Okay. The triumph song or Where Angels Tread. Angels Tread, yeah. And then the weaker ones were Between Men and Angels, because I thought that was pretty good. Like the Doctor is Between Men and Angels. Okay. Um, Pray, obvious. Yes. <laughs> And Hell Sent. But yeah, I would go with Where Angels Tread or uh, okay. All right. The Triumph Song. Thumbs up. Okay. All right. So The Vampires of Venice. Yes. Yep. Bit, bit whack, it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't hate it. I didn't like, hate it. I don't it. remember liking the episode when it first aired. Yeah. Because it sort of felt like it was getting into, you know, like, oh, we're just sort of in the season now. Episodes are just kind of happening. Yeah. Um, so I didn't really have many expectations going into this episode. But it, it was better than i remember it being oh, okay i enjoyed it more than i thought it was going to okay it well it it's probably just because it's a, a climb down it just feels significantly less substantial it does but it's sort um, of um it, it sort of has a definitive place in the season where it's sort of like this is now the introduction of rory the secondary yeah companion well you know? this one i would say is where i first started to think this feels pitched a little bit older okay and also occurred to me that maybe the best way of thinking about doctor who from tenant to smith 
it's like going from Chamber of Secrets to Prisoner of Azkaban, isn't it? That's really what it feels like. Oh, that might be it. Yeah, that might be a decent way of doing it. Yeah. yeah. Um, even, you know, the way it looks, everything, really. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it, it does feel like an episode that's inspired by a title. The Vampires okay. of Venice. Like, oh, that's a good title. Let's do that as an episode. You know, it didn't feel like they arrived at that after the idea. Would you agree with that? Um, T- not, two Vs, they'll do it. No, not entirely. Okay, you think they came up with the idea of Vampires in Venice... And then came up with the title, The Vampires of Venice. Well, yeah, because it's not like a it's not like a brilliant title. It's just alliterative. It's so yeah, pleasant exactly, to yeah. the ears, you know. Yeah, it's not exactly a title where you come up with that title and you go, "Oh shit, we must we must now invent a reason to I use mean, this it's title." Doctor Who, if they see a title they think is good, they'll probably write it. Okay, I think it's not like it's so good that we now have to do that. But it's like The Vampires of Venice. That sounds nice. It's Doctor Who. We could sort of do that. Yeah, yeah. I feel like they got they they got it the wrong way around there. Okay. Um, so there's the scene with him and Rory, I think, where they're comparing... Is it Sonic Screwdrivers they're comparing? Or uh, whatever? Torches. Torches. Yeah. I didn't I didn't need the line, yours is bigger than mine. I felt like that was there without him having to say that. Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That's everything I've got to say about the episode, so go. Oh, shit, yeah. really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so go. Um, I like that he jumped out of a cake, that's it. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, no, I, I sort of liked it. Again, I like the idea that you're bringing Rory in and sort of like the reason this, you know, it's like, oh, Amy tried to kiss me. Let's mm. sort your marriage out, basically. Yeah. Um, This is the second episode since Gridlock. Oh, this is the second episode, including Gridlock, to have like kind of coronavirus-y comparisons because Venice is under quarantine in this episode. Yes, that's right. So I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. That's literally it. I have nothing else to say about <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, that is it. Um, School of Fish. I don't know if you figured that out. What now? Well, because the um, the quote unquote vampires are actually these fish from space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they're sort of suckering in girls by pretending to oh, be this right. really prestigious school. Yes, okay. And I so I just wrote down School of Fish in all <laughs> okay. capital letters because right. I, I mi- completely okay. missed that the first time I watched this episode. <laughs> so I thought like, oh, that's kind of all right. Especially since they never um, they never say it. Yeah, Rory kind yeah. of says I don't get what the whole school thing is about, but that's the closest they get to saying School of Fish. Yeah. So it's like, oh, okay, that's all right, actually. Yeah. Also, can space fish wield rapiers? Apparently. Yeah. Again, like, when they're in their, like, native form, they just look like sort of like these, like, beastly, lobstery fish creatures. Yeah. And then when they take human form, they're basically human. Like, they seem to talk and they're sort of like, you know... I like the exchange between um, the fish mother and the doctor, Mm -hmm. where he's like, I'll ask a question, then you ask a question. I don't know what it is about... I don't know whether it's just the performance the actress was delivering, but I quite like that character. Right. Considering that she's just like a small one-off part, I think she mm. did it pretty well. Okay. And it could literally just be the performance she's turning in, but I was I really liked it when she was on the screen. I don't know the name of the actress. I don't know if she's a person or not. Oh, Helen McCrory. Yeah. Is she a person? Yeah, she's a person. Okay. She's in Harry Potter and she's in Skyfall. Who's she in Skyfall? She's the uh, the woman uh, questioning M at the tribunal. Oh, okay. Oh, all right. Yeah. Oh, she looks a bit different there. Yeah. To, to Harry her Potter, fishy she's self. Lucius Malfoy's uh, other Yeah, half. she's not Sister Malfoy, but most famously now probably because she's one of the leads in Peaky Blinders. So. Right, okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I liked her. Um, but yeah, again, kind of the Prisoner Zero problem of um, you're, you're a giant space fish. Uh, how do you know how to wield a sword? Yeah, yeah. Other than that, because <laughs> none of you taking any of the bait. So uh, okay. I guess we're done with the Vampires of Venice then. Yeah. It's a thumbs down from me. It's a thumbs down from me as well. Oh, okay. I would say, it's a th- oh, would I say thumbs up? 
It's not an enthusiastic thumbs up, but it's certainly not a thumbs so a down thumb for me. Yeah, sure. Let's let's okay. compromise. My alternate title is uh, so I don't know if you know lampreys, a fish that consume blood. Okay. So lampreys. There we go. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> I like how even you're like, yeah, nah, fuck it. I don't want to. I don't want to be. I yeah. don't want this anymore. Let's just keep going. <laughs> uh, Amy's choice. Yes. Right. Well, Toby Jones would be on my shortlist to play the Doctor. This is who you were referring to earlier when you said uh, they've yeah. wasted a guest actor. Yes. Okay. He's not bad in it, but it does still. I don't know. They do this a lot on Doctor Who. It's like you got this great actor. Yeah. See. Yeah. He's not bad. No. But I didn't love him in this episode. I don't know what it is. No. I wonder if the episode would be all right without him. Yeah. Like the threat is just not knowing whether they're in a dream or not. You don't need that to be physicalized in a villain. You know. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think the episode. I think if the episode didn't have him in it and it was literally just which dream is real, then it would have been not blink levels but it would have been sort of like that kind of thing where it's just like this right. very conceptual episode mm. and that's sort of what carries the strengths of it yeah well i found it quite insubstantial again okay but it yeah. is sort of um like we've just been introduced to rory now it is sort of exploring the dynamic between the doctor rory and amy yeah and it's sort of like you know oh which one does amy care about more you know yes so it is it is doing something in the series it's not completely... yeah yeah it's not superfluous yeah but it did feel insubstantial okay um hitting old people is funny <laughs> uh that is a universal constant <laughs> it is it is but old people with eyes in their mouths, it's a bit shit as far as villains go. Oh, yeah. Of course it is. Yeah. yeah. Like the, the cold star, the cold sun, mm. that's all right in terms of like a threat they have to overcome in one of the dreams. Yeah. But yeah, you could have come up with something better than old people with eyes in their yeah. mouths. That's all I've got to say about that one. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> Why are we even bothering? You're just being like, yeah. Well, so I, I, if I got nothing to say, I got nothing to say. Do you know what I mean? I can't contrive um, opinions. Yeah. So it is again a thumbs down from me. Oh, really? It's a thumbs It's a thumbs sideways for me. No, I would have said it's a thumbs up. Okay. I think the concept is, at the heart of it, is very solid. Yeah, I like, no, I like the concept of don't like the episode. Oh, oh okay. You surprised <laughs> me. Alternate titles? Uh, Wrinkles in Time. Right. Grey Dream. I, I like that one. <laughs> I like Grey Dream. <laughs> and uh, Geriatricery. Uh, but I think oh, okay. it's a great dream. Right. I quite like it. It was a terrible yeah. pun. Uh, right, The Hungry Earth. Yes. I, I have made separate, because I didn't know this was going to be a... I did know The Angels were going to be a two-parter. I didn't know this was, so... How did you feel when you learned that it was going to be this a 2 This is the worst one. This is the w- where I've got, oh, no! I just felt like, what, this is a two-parter? Yeah. I remember feeling uh, something similar when I first saw it, when it first aired. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, really? Yeah, not this one. Yeah. The, like the most dull, I would say. Yeah. He's the worst fucking pilot of all time, isn't he? Who? Doctor Who, the Doctor. He, he never ends up where he wants to end up. No. Because, uh, <laughs> where are they supposed to be going in this one? It's Is it Rio? Yeah. Just, he never, it's always like, oh yeah, we're, we're this time, we're this place. He's terrible, he's a terrible well, pilot. I mean, River <laughs> points out that if she, she knows how to fly it properly, which she's obviously learnt from him. Yeah. Which means... You can fly that properly and get to the right place in the right time, but because he thinks it's boring, he doesn't bother. Yeah. Also, the TARDIS does sort of have a say in where he goes as well. Yeah, yeah. Yes. It takes him where he has to like, be. Like, how good of a pilot can you be, really, if your ship is sentient and has, like, intentions of its own? Well, that's rape, isn't it? I wouldn't try and drive it. <laughs> <laughs> TARDIS rape. rape. Your ship. <laughs> 
Um, so I like Amy says I've dressed for Rio and that becomes like a recurring joke through the episode yes Amy I'm not complaining but you're always dressed for Rio <laughs> if that's so she is she's always every episode she's in her like mini skirt or whatever yeah, yeah. again I'm not complaining but come on <laughs> I like the, the moment she's like tell Rory like before she's pulled under or whatever yeah it's like what I'm not getting your it's like tell Rory I'm ambivalent about him <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? No, I feel like after um, Amy's choice was supposed to... It's supposed okay. to be pretty clear that, like, oh, Amy and Rory are an item. Do you feel that, though? Because even after so. that, it feels like... It, you never feel the love from her. It never feels like she's in love with him. or like Not from her, no. No, no. no. Not from her. Oh, from him, absolutely. Yeah, he's head over heels. You can tell yeah. that. But from her, you never get that reciprocation. Okay, all right. You know, the Doctor, there's this thing of, like, he's being towed by his train of thought. Yes. So there's this thing that he's in a room and he's like, oh, this thing, this thing, I'm getting scattershot. I'm, you know, he can't keep track of it because he's just being, his thoughts are pulling him along rather than he's towing his thoughts. Yes. This is the best, Matt Smith is the best at doing that. I yes, think. absolutely, yeah. yeah. Him verbalizing his train of thought is much more believable. He's slightly kind of more rigid and clumsy, but in, like, a good way in terms of how he's moving. Mm. And, imp- and yeah, improvised... Yeah. It feels more scattershot. It's like when he's just picking something up, like, oh, I'll put that over there. And it just feels kind of right. Like he's, the momentum of his train, you know, is, is like pulling him behind it. Yes. Um, and that yeah, yeah. feels the most accurate representation of that yeah. that I've seen. Absolutely. Um, yeah. oh, he's, he's a good, he's a good. He is very I like, good. I like Matt Smith a he lot. He is very good. Uh, you can only take a Welsh voice in distress so seriously, can't you? <laughs> Come on, let yeah. me in. Also, <laughs> they always do this. They always pick the Welshest people they can find. Yeah, yeah. And they are Welsh, so they, it's not like an accent that they're doing. No, I know. And I know it's set in Comtar. No, that so was it's a question. Like, it's a, so they, they are actually Welsh actors, are they? They're not. Oh, I, I actually don't know. Okay. Yeah, but like I said, I know it's set in Comtar. So I know it is the heart of Wales, but you yeah. Know, not the heart of Wales in like, oh, the crown jewel. Just like it's in, it's properly in yes, Wales. Yes, the valleys, you know? yeah. Um,. There's a van with pen of on it. Was that a joke? <laughs> Is that a, a deliberate yeah. <laughs> in joke? Um, yeah, it's quite dull, isn't it? The episode. Uh, funnily enough, it's written by Chris Chibnall. It is, you, uh, yeah. I picked up that. on that. I did, yeah. 42 as well. I didn't point it out at the time, but 42 was written by Chris Chibnall. Yeah, qu- quite dull. Yes. Quite, um, quite boring. Yeah, my heart did sink when I realised it was a two-parter. Yeah. It, fuck, it rushes to get itself over with, doesn't it? At the oh, end. yeah. You have, like, that CGI vista shot of the Silurian Empire underneath the Earth. Yeah. And the Doctor's like, this isn't a tribe. This is a whole civilization. And before he's even finished the word civilization, the end music starts. Yeah. Like, the episode is like, right, fucking, let's get out of here. You know, yeah, <laughs> the know, episode just... wants to be over with. Yeah, it was boring, frankly. I found the episode boring. What did you think of the Silurians, the uh, most recent returning classic villain? Um, well... They look like creatures from Babylon 5 or Farscape. Okay. Or Star Trek. They don't feel like a dog. I know you get aliens and everything, but they look more out of Star Trek. Which is interesting, considering that they're Earthlings. They're not aliens. Yeah, but they're, they're, they're default alien design, aren't they? Like, other than the Area 51 alien. Yeah. If you think of an alien, that's what you sort of what you picture. Like a lizard humanoid. Yeah, scaly with like a slightly weird-shaped head and... Okay. Yeah, I don't think much. I thought they were like basic alien. Yeah, I mean they're they're it's it's not a bad place to come from alien like creature wise, and I don't know if this is true of classic Silurians. I've got no knowledge of them, mm. but the concept is basically what if we did Planet of the Apes, 
but we were the race that came afterwards rather than the apes. Yeah. So it's sort of like an inverse plan to the apes. Like, that's a decent idea. Yeah, it's a decent idea. Are we talking about the first part now or the second part? I kind of both, I suppose. Okay. Yeah, it's a, yeah. there are decent ideas in there. A lot of the time I was watching it thinking, I see what they're trying to do. Yeah. And I do like the, I think the idea of like, they, they get rid of it very quickly. I don't think mm. they ever really explain the whole, like, the graves eating people. I know that's the Silurians doing. Mm. But I don't think they ever explain why the Silurians are grave robbers. No. But the idea of, like, the ground beneath you will just randomly swallow you up. Mm. Like, that's fucking scary. That's a really good, like, I, I get, I suppose, but that hadn't occurred to me till you said it. Do you know what I mean? It's so, like the episode No, no, that's the thing. It doesn't do, do anything with it. The yeah. only reason it exists, it exists in the teaser as, like, a, ooh, what's going on? Mm. And then pretty quickly they sort of explain, oh, it's the Silurians, they're pulling people underground. Yeah, yeah. But the, the threat of, like, the ground consuming you like, that's a really scary threat, because how do you fight that? Yeah. How do you not stand on the ground, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I feel like that's sort of a... That's an idea that Doctor Who may one day be able to return to, but... It's a wasted threat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So my episode... Let's jump to the second one. My alternate title for the first part is Subterranean. <laughs> right, okay. I'm proud of that one, I gotta say. Um, but it's a thumbs well, I'm glad down. you are, Sam. yeah. yeah. It gave me that pun, but it's still a thumbs down. <laughs> it wasn't worth it. It wasn't it? worth it. Okay. Uh, so, Cold Blood. Right, this is the first time I noticed that Amy does a lot of wide-eyed action. Okay. She's always wide-eyed. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when I noticed that, I couldn't not notice it anymore. It's like when someone points out a verbal tick, and you go, oh, why the fuck? Now that's all I'm going to pay attention to. Okay. Uh, there's a bit of that. I realized, like, how... I know she's trying to do, like, a... Um, you know, like if you're talking to kids and you kind of raise your intonation, she's sort of doing the family performance of like wide-eyed and very curious and moving along with the doctor. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Um, she's broadening that tick so it's so everyone can sort of understand it. Yeah, kind of. She's delivering a very a broad performance and her doing that is being wide-eyed a lot, you know? Okay. But yeah, so I picked up on that and then I couldn't unsee it. Okay. Unfortunately. All right. You see, I saw, I see what they were trying to do with the episode. This whole, you know, like it's a conversation, and we need peaceful negotiators, and yeah, that sort of thing. But I, I like that the resolution of that is right. Okay, look, we're not ready for you yet. So in a thousand years, when we sorted our shit out, you can come up to the surface. Yeah, I like that his uh, proposal is that humanity, that the people in that room, have to go out and propagate a mindset via mytho poetry. <laughs> Yeah. Good, good luck with that. Yeah, <laughs> so like spreading stories about oh, let's let's just make up this whole like mental architecture of the earth is for sharing. <laughs> let's just go out and cultivate that among everybody, and then maybe in a thousand years. I also like the, the idea that the compromise the doctor comes to is like right, you go back into hibernation. Yeah, nothing changes for you. Nothing changes. That's our compromise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know what he puts his hand through the crack? Yes. I really want it to be a cosmic glory hole. <laughs> really, and he just grabs an alien dick on the other side of it. <laughs> Alas. Oh, for shame, Sam. For shame. I know. Uh, Rory fucking died quickly, didn't he? Yes. They just do it. It's just like, okay, he's dead now. And he's, for- and he's forgotten. And, and he's, he's forgotten. forgotten. It's yeah. like the only thing worthy of note really in the episode it is it, it does feel like a um it's not obviously because he comes back but it does feel like a course correction from a writing perspective it's like oh shit we don't actually want rory and I, i'm not saying it is that because it's not no but it feels a bit like 
because the way he dies and then they forget him instantly. If it, well, it felt like a neat way of going, Amy forgets him. The doctor remembers. Yeah, him. yeah, yeah. Amy yeah. forgets him. It's like right, we needn't come back to him. He's done now. We don't have to deal with the emotional fallout of his death. Oh, I don't know. We can just carry on as normal. I wouldn't say no, that. No, no. I'm not saying that that is what it was or that that was the intention. No, obviously, yes, because yeah. you obviously know that he comes back. I, I don't know if, like, in the moment it would be entirely clear that this was a course correction. The fact that he's killed off so quickly. Yeah. Like, if he'd been with them for the rest of the series and this mm. was, like, at the beginning of the second series this happened, then, mm. yeah, you could feasibly go, oh, all right, nobody liked Rory, so they're getting rid of Rory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like I said, I'm not saying it is that. And I'm not... You saying uh, it being clear that it was a course correction, that's not true, obviously, because it's not a course correction. Yeah. It's more the appearance at the time, because I didn't know he was coming back, right? I don't know. I feel like I feel like you could sort of, um, at the time, if you didn't, if nobody knew that mm. he was coming back, I feel like there'd be enough people thinking like, all right, something's going to happen there. He's not okay. just gone. Okay. Like, even if the character never returns, that's as a plot point is going to come back. Yeah, no, I thought, right. So I thought the character is not coming back, but we will deal with the aftermath of that death. Right, okay. That's what I thought would happen. Okay. Um, that's it really, isn't it, for that episode? Yeah, it's pretty shit. Is it the worst episode of the series? Yeah. Is it worse than The Hungry Earth? Or do uh-huh. you count The Hungry Earth is it with my, that? Oh, it's like maybe tied for my worst episode of the series. Oh. Have we encountered your worst episode of the series yet? No. I think I know what the worst episode <laughs> of the series is, but we'll get to uh, it. The alternate title is shit as well, The Scales of Justice. Let's move on. It's a thumbs down. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I think Cold Blood is an all right title as it, in and of itself. It, it's, a, it's a bit bland, but yes, it's got double yeah, meaning. Yeah, it has a double meaning, yeah. so it, it passes the title test. You know? It does, yeah. Yes. Right, Vincent and the Doctor. Yes. Aye. Well, first, so Bill Nye. The science guy. Bill Nye. I, that was a joke, Sam. Um, I, I know. I was, but you, you just weren't going to let me have it, were you? I was grenading the truck. <laughs> a soda. He says a soda. He's, you're British, Bill Nye. <laughs> it costs as much as a, as a soda. Who's Pop. A can of pop. Oh, well, right? I guess the episode's ruined then. It is, frankly. <laughs> well, I don't like the episode as much as I think you probably do. Um, okay. I know, Eddie, you, you're a big fan of it. Yes. I thought it was okay. I, I think it's nice. It's definitely nice to look at. Which yes. is kind of why I like it. Yeah, it looks. It's kind of like Loving Vincent, right? Where it, it like replicates his painting. I was going to say, yeah. is this uh, is this a tropospheric episode? Yeah, kind of loose. Yes, not not as heavily as has been done before. No, but yeah, in the sense of they they kind of repaint, you know. Yes, because uh, I guess that's all you can really do with an artist, isn't it? Yeah, just kind of like evoke their style yeah. or literally replicate their pictures. Yeah, in sort of the framing of the shots and everything. Yes, yeah. they did that. Um, it was the first time I became conscious that I probably only like Amy because I think she's hot. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, at this point, I think it's because the wide-eyed thing, like I said. But also, yeah, fatigue was setting in a little bit. So take my opinions from here on out with a little bit of a grain of salt, I suppose. Okay. Um, Tony Curran's okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's pretty. He's pretty good as Van Gogh. Yeah, I like him. But he is definitively Scottish, isn't he? I mean, I know they've got like the uh, the language whatever it is where they yeah the translation circuit in the TARDIS yeah and I think there's also like uh they also cut they do a little thing about it in this episode I think but there's sort of the implication that through the translation it sort of messes with people's accents and like pronunciations and stuff right so Van Gogh is actually from Holland yeah but because they're hearing him speaking English somehow that's making him sound Scottish you know right 
Okay. Oh, this is where you. This is where you stop accepting. <laughs> well, that's just stupid, it, isn't it? Stuff like that. It is dumb. No, it's like, not. You don't you need. Can't... You don't need to explain that. You don't need. I don't. The actor is Scottish. Yeah. They're not going to get him to do a Dutch accent because no. they would just sound goofy. Yes. Yeah. I don't need something in the show to say. Oh, it makes them sound. They have different regional accents because blah blah blah. Yeah. I don't need. You don't need that. Just don't even bother addressing it because when right, yeah. when you start contextualizing it, it just starts to sound stupid. <laughs> okay. Um. I like the graphics when the sky became the starry night. I like that. Yes, that was that was very well done. That was very, very um, nice. I like oh, that ties into a point that I want to make, but I'll make it after you've said your stuff. Okay. I like the idea, you know, depression as an invisible monster sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I like, thought that was pretty good. I like I quite like the ending, you know, where he's taken to see his legacy. Yes. It's a good concept. I think it's a bit fucked up by the song. Yeah, the song definitely ruins the impact of that scene. Yeah, I, I. You need don't know why music in it because music is what gives that scene a sense of triumph. Yeah, but yeah, that song is. I think it's like when Doctor Who, you, when Doctor Who uses licensed music in particular, mm. it never really works for me. No, it's such like a like a mum song as well. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's what your mum thinks rock music is. Yeah. And it's kind of so obviously like the intent, like what they're trying to get you to feel with that song. It's so obvious that you're kind of like, yeah, I'm not really feeling it. Yeah. It's carpe diem basically, isn't it? Yeah. And it's, yeah. uh, yeah, no, it just felt really athlete is the band, right? I don't know. It's like using, um, feeder or something, just like a really milk toast beige. I like feeder. <laughs> <laughs> Of course you do, Eddie. <laughs> I like feeling a moment, I will say, but other than that, I'm off having. But yeah, the song just felt like I don't know, it was a bit like the end of a uh a teen like like the OC or One Tree Hill, you know, where they right. they use songs a lot in those kind of shows because it connects to the teenage audience. Yes. Uh it was a bit like that. Yeah, I thought that ruined it a bit. Okay. That's it. Go. Okay. Is there anything you want to say, Eddie, given that you're a big fan of this episode? First thing. Weird enough, it, it is like my favorite of this series, but it's I like how it looks, and that's where it kind of comes from. I like, you know, I like looking at Van Gogh's works just in general. I, you know, the, the whole bit with the the sky, yeah, I really like. Yeah, I think this episode it feels more colorful than the other episodes in the series. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Say, so I like that. I, again, I like the whole invisible monster thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it is a bit goofy, like the way he gets to see the monster through that old random machine that he's got strapped to his chest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, like, as I say, it's like my favourite, but it's my favourite just because of the way it looks. And I like looking at Van Gogh. Yeah, well, I'm generally works, a fan in genre shows, or kind of plot-heavy shows, you know, with, with this lot of, um, I, I guess, arguably intricacy when they choose an emotional resolution to an episode rather than yes. a plotty one. You know, oh, they just yeah. ended on a character beat. So I like that about it. I do like the fact that when they get back to the museum and she's convinced that there's going to be, like, loads more photos and he's just like, well, no. But this is the interesting thing, though. I, I know what they're doing. It's it's another, it's Doctor Who trying to do a this-is-life moment. Yeah. But it actually doesn't make any fucking sense that he would have killed himself because it's like three weeks later, right? No, no, it's a little longer than that. Okay, um, it's, but it's not like years and years. It's like a month or two, right? No, it's not years. I don't. I think it's more than a month, but it's, okay. it's certainly not years. It it doesn't make any sense that like, like that they've there's no more paintings and nothing has changed and history played out exactly as you. It just wouldn't be the case if he had that experience and then he saw his. He might still have had depression, but I just don't buy that he it, it would have played out exactly the same way. 
I don't know, because I know that time can be rewritten as sort of like a repeated meme throughout this series. Mm. It's a repeated sentiment. But if you think about it, like the fact that the Doctor and Amy met Vincent and they fought the monster, like that is history. That has always Yeah, happened. yeah, of course, yeah. They haven't changed history. Well, they, they have, haven't It's they? just history play. Well, not really, because they, it is They change it because it's out. no longer... The Crophias or whatever it's called is no longer in the painting. Okay. And he dedicates the painting to Amy, doesn't to he? To Amy. Okay, maybe a little bit then. No, I don't know. I, 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 I think it works, that moment. Okay. When they go back to the gallery and the paintings, I th- it's still the same paintings. It's one of those things I think it objectively works. I think as an idea of, oh shit, we didn't actually change anything. Mm. But in the actual logic of the show, it doesn't make any sense that they would have done all that and changed nothing except he dedicates a painting to it. I, I just don't buy... Okay, I just think that doesn't make any sense at all. No, I he think... He killed himself after he saw the TARDIS explode. Maybe. Maybe. But also, you've got to keep in mind that Vincent already has a pretty profound understanding of the universe, as he shares with the Doctor and Amy when you see the starry nights being superimposed over the sky. Yeah. Like, seeing the inside of the TARDIS and seeing, like, learning about the existence of, like, life beyond the stars and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's a bit of a shock to him, but it's not um, the same shock as it would be to any other person, because he already understands the universe more than most other people. Yeah. So it's not a radical change in perspective for him. It's not about know? change in perspective. It's more just, it's him getting to see that, oh, it actually, mate, it is all worth it. And I just don't right. buy that, that still, because that, that's the ending, right? He gets to see that he's not going to die a failure. But he like, does. It will go on to be revealed. He does die a failure. No, no, as in he, people care about his work. He overhears Bill Nye saying he's the yes. best artist to ever live. Yes, but in the time that he's from, no one gives a shit about him and everyone treats him like shit. Yeah, okay, right. So I know I know that he has he's gifted with the knowledge that one day he will be remembered, but right now the life that he's living is awful because everyone treats him like shit. But Joel, right, okay, let's say that we're writers, right? Hmm. And we jump forward a hundred years and we find out that whatever we write is revered, right? Yeah. Wouldn't that make you slightly less gloomy in the present? Because when he leaves, they go to the, the museum and then the, the gallery and then they leave. He has a renewed sense of purpose. He's like, oh, thank you for that. Yes. But he still just goes off and kills himself. I just think with the way they ended it, with his renewed sense of purpose, it makes little sense to then just assume that he went... I mean, I would, yes. I would feel, like, less gloomy if I knew that one day my writing was going to mean something. But also, I'm not burdened with the turbulent mental health that Van Gogh has. No, sure. But I, I don't know... Okay. And also, isn't that sort of... Again, isn't that kind of the point that even, like... You can, like, definitively put them in a place where, oh, everything is so much better. And then the next day, they can just feel like shit again. Yes. Like, you can't fix mental health Absolute, in that Absolutely. Respect. But the episode did not do the work of showing that. The last we see of him, his faith has been restored. Yes. And then and let's face it, the, the fact that there are no more paintings, surely that's enough to say, like, but merely restoring his faith that day was not enough. I think the timbre of it was was misjudged. I think they, they could have done a thing of um, his faith is restored, but then he sinks back into, you know, But that's what happens. Depression. We don't see it, but that is clearly okay. what happens. I, I just think they, they got it wrong. I don't think that works. Okay. I, I, I love, no, I love I, the I ending. Disagree. Okay. All right. Well, we just disagree on that one then. Okay. Where do you stand, Eddie? Well, it's my favourite episode. <laughs> of the yeah, we know that. But, but, but do you think that um, that moment, do you think that it gives you enough at the end to sort of 
sort of deliver that idea that yes in like on that day vincent's faith was restored but that alone is not enough to conquer mental illness it can still pull I mean, you back down to the depths it, it doesn't do it fully it certainly doesn't do it fully at all i won't dispute i won't dispute that you if if that's clearly the idea you were going for then you could have maybe done another scene that more clearly demonstrates that but also this is still doctor who this is still a family show there's only so deep you can drill into mental illness before it becomes uncomfortable viewing yeah but on that on that same token i would say why are you using doctor who as a place to explore mental illness well you should still you you shouldn't be scared off by the idea of like these uh difficult concepts but you also need to understand that there's only so far you can go with a show like doctor no of course but also i mean just by dint of its tone and its audience it's putting a a kind of a rose colored lens isn't it a rose tinted lens in the sense of Okay, it flirts with the idea of Van Gogh's depression and his insanity, mm. but you can't do that justice in this format. Like, his depression, it's not like a kooky thing that he was seeing an invisible monster. He cut his own ear yeah. off in an argument. He was a severely mentally ill man. Yes, yeah. And I don't know, maybe just Doctor Who isn't the place to tackle that. Okay, well, well I admire that I admire that they, um, they went for it. Okay. Wherever you stand on how well the message is delivered at the end. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that the show wasn't too scared to, you know, like, no, no, we'll give it a go. Okay. I disagree with that then. Okay. I think just you need to know what your ballpark is, you know? Okay. But I didn't hate the episode. I they were, No. I liked parts of it. But it is a thumb sideways for me. I mean, the title is shit. But... It is a shit title. There's no yes. denying that. Well, give us your alternate titles and then I'll sort of finish up with the points that I have. Okay. Well, the alternate titles are, I was going for anagrams this time around. Well, okay, the first one isn't an anagram. It's Off the Wall. And I really like that as a title, actually. Off the Wall in the sense of that means crazy, but Off the Wall, yeah. the idea that his art isn't appreciated, right? So it wouldn't be... Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so then the anagrams are Sienna Traits. Now, Sienna is a, an oil an oil painting color. Yeah. Um, but Sienna Traits is an anagram of insane artist. Right. But my favorite one is Largely Mental. And that is a uh, an anagram <laughs> of gallery lament. So I'll pro- I'll go with largely mental. Right. I think okay. as a title. Bit insensitive. Not not really. Okay. Not really. Right. Just checking. <laughs> yeah, I only have a couple more points regarding the episode. I'll start with the criticism. Um, this episode, as you've said, Eddie, this episode looks fantastic, and I think that's somewhat bolstered by the fact that this is all shots on location. Yeah, there are no sets. They actually shot in like. They didn't build a house for Vincent Van Gogh. They actually shot in a house and all of the like exterior locations. There's no like CG vistas and it really, it feels like tangible in a sense because it's all filmed on location. But uh, when Van Gogh goes to paint that church, apparently he decides the best way to paint the entire church is to put his canvas right up against the exterior wall of the church and then just paint the whole church from memory, I guess. Yeah. And you that's clearly because they couldn't find a church that looks like the church from the Van Gogh painting. Yeah. And I think in that instance, I, I admire the commitment to filming this episode practically. Like, the only CG is the Crefeus itself and the Starry Nights sequence at the end. Yeah. But I think in that instance, it's perfectly valid to do a CG vista of a church that looks like the church from the painting. Mm-hmm. When you notice that he's, like, right up against the church, it just looks silly. Mm-hmm. So that's my criticism of the episode. My compliment is I really like the idea. Well, it's sort of like the idea that art is kind of like 
the science of emotion, I guess. It, like, like an artist is sort of like great art- artists are sort of gifted with a knowledge of the universe that the average man either doesn't have or doesn't know how to express. And that's sort of the virtue of an artist is they can sort of show you the universe in a way that you never really were able to before. Right. I know this is speaking in very grand terms, mm. but it's the reason I'm speaking in such grand terms is because in the Van Gogh episode, like Van Gogh literally is able to see things that other people can't see in the terms of the in terms of the Crefeus. Right. And he literally understands like how the universe works and like he's able to break it down to like shape and color and that's why he paints the way he paints. Mm. I just really like that Again, I, I think it's the episode is more about mental health than it is about artists. Mm-hmm. But I do really like this sort of uh this idea that like an artist can see the universe in a way in a way that no other no one else can. And Van Gogh literally sees the universe in a way that nobody else does. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I I mean I don't as far as the is it Crefeus, Crefeus, how do you pronounce it? I think it's Crefeus. Crefeus. I think that is a um a metaphor for depression. But, I mean, a good example would be when he looks up at the stars and then you see a starry night, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Artists are emotional scientists. Yes, exactly. Not to, den- and I like that not the to episodes... denigrate that. <laughs> <laughs> that that observation. No, no, no. no, I was no. Say, like some, like a lot of artists do suffer with mental health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there no, is no. somewhat of a, of a connection. Not there. to denigrate was the start of, an, of a sentence. Uh, not to denigrate that observation. Is that not an obvious observation? <laughs> the artists, the artists see the universe in a particular way, and they're like scientists. But oh yeah, no, no. Soul. I'm not saying that this is like a profound, like oh, I've never seen this done before. What a profound uh, thing! Mm. I just really like that they the there. simplicity of the metaphor. An artist can see the universe in a way that no one else can, right? And so Van Gogh literally sees the universe in a way that no one else yes. can. Yes, okay. I like the simplicity of that metaphor, and in a way, I kind of wish it was sort of more. I would have liked to have known if it was more deliberate. I would have liked oh, to yeah. know whether that was deliberate or whether that's something that I've just personally taken away from No, no, I'm sure it is. Um, it is deliberate. Like when they're lying down and he's explaining that, essentially, isn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, it's in there. You see the sky, I see shades of colour yeah. and shape. And yeah, it's stuff. it's not the main thrust of the episode, but it's it's pepper. It's definitely in there. Yes. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, uh, thumbs up for Vincent and the Doctor. Okay. Thumb sideways. Don't be like that, Sam. <laughs> It is a long sideways for me. Um, Right, The Lodger. Okay. Well, we might all be in agreement on The Lodger. Well, it's my least favourite episode of the season. Okay. I wouldn't say it's my least favourite purely because Cold Earth and The Hungry... No, Cold Blood (laughs) and The Hungry Earth are so boring. Yeah, okay. I just... I. The, the idea of having to rewatch those again, it's like, oh. Yeah, fair enough. Well, I really hated watching The Vampires of Venice on a rewatch. That's probably my least favorite then i think yeah oh right okay yeah i wouldn't say that at all but yeah the lodger is if you want to do a, a comedic episode yeah that's fine mm. but make the comedy good yeah well doctor who's never been particularly strong on the comedy front has it it hasn't but sort of like the one of the especially with moffat kind of the virtue of the comedy there are there are some genuinely like funny comedic moments but also most of the comedy flies past you so quickly mm. you have just enough time to register that it's comedy and then it's gone yeah so you sort of laugh out of reflex right when it's the 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 meat of the episode mm-hmm. it's like oh shit this is not good <laughs> no it's, it's it's a very it's a provincial episode of doctor who isn't it it's very quaint yes um okay let's just get this other way i've never understood the james corden hate i've never understood it i, will I say, pretended to I will say He's actually all right in this episode. 
Yeah, he's... I was not looking forward to rewatching the Lordship because I don't like James Corden. Right. Um, I think he's pretty good in Gavin and Stacey. Mm-hmm. I like him in that. But outside of that, I find him sort of irritating. Okay. But I think when he's just because in this he's a bloke. Well, no, yeah. I mean, you say a bloke, not not like a bloke. He's not a bloke. He's a no, no. He's just like a he's guy, a fella. You know? Yeah, he's a guy who's kind of hot, in love with a girl. That's yeah, who he exactly. Is. He like lives in a yeah. flat, eats pizza, he goes to work. Yeah, he's, he's a just man. a guy. Yeah, he's a fat. He works like that. Works for him. Yes, <laughs> but I never understood the you know. Um, it's like Nickelback to me in the sense of okay, they're not they're not good, <laughs> and you know they're not they're certainly not great, but they they're no worse than like. 60 70 percent of musicians in general right. do you know what i mean okay. i've never understood the disproportionate yeah. and it's the same with corden yes he's he comes across as insincere as a talk show host but they all do uh so i, I yes i've never quite got that but anyway i just want to get that out of the way uh yeah he's fine is it because of the is, is it seen as like a betrayal because he was like um he was in like this british show and mm. he was doing like this double act with this guy and then he sort of left all that behind for you know, America. Yeah, I, I do think British people have a resentment for success. I, I genuinely do. I think that we don't like it when people, when we feel like they betrayed us, you know? Well, I mean, people still like Simon Pegg. Yes, right? but I think it's, who's talking about this? I think a comedian was talking about this. You, as far as the press is concerned, the popular opinion, they love you, then they hate you, and then if you stay the course and come out the other side, you become a national treasure. Right. So like Simon Pegg, I think, has come out the other side and has become a national treasure. I see. Um, but that does seem to be the trajectory, the tabloid trajectory of, oh, new new kid on the block, we love you. Oh, you're getting a bit samey now. We're seeing you too much. But then, yeah, if you just stick to it, they'll like you again. Yeah. So maybe James Corden will be loved again at some point. Maybe. Um, it's quite a boring threat, isn't it? And quite yeah. a boring premise. Yeah. Just a time traveler upstairs. It's just a bit. Uh. Yeah. Um, what kind of a flat is one story high? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks like when when um, the time machine upstairs like disappears and it becomes the the one story flat that it actually is. Yeah. It looks so wrong. Yeah. It looks so unnatural. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> you don't get one story flats. Just doesn't. You know. Maybe the occasional rare one, but yeah. it's it's next to houses that are two stories high. Yeah, maybe if it was a three-story house on a street of two-story houses, then maybe. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it doesn't look it doesn't look natural at all. Nope. That's kind of it, really. I mean, it's got a doctor playing football in it. <laughs> I think that I was s- a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> My alternate title is out of his league. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's it. Right, you know the um, the second person that sort of gets um, baited into the flat? The woman, yeah? Yeah, it's a woman yeah. who I think has been on a night out. Right. But she looks like she's been raped. Like, her clothes are, like, all <laughs> torn. Her makeup is, like, running. Her hair's all, like, frizzy. I they, I guess they were, like, going for, like, yeah, she's been on a bender. Yeah, and now she's like going walk home of shame. by herself. Yeah. Yeah, walk of shame. Yeah. But, yeah, her clothes Maybe are, like, all torn. Maybe she was raped and just had... Maybe she had the worst 12 hours of anybody in history. <laughs> <laughs> she was raped and then she just got whatever you want. What, what yeah. happens to them? I can't even remember what happens to them. Oh, they go they upstairs die. and they they uh, put their hand on the on the, on the the console oh, yeah. and it like dissolves them or something. Yeah. Yeah, that's all I got. It's a thumbs down. Yeah. Yep. It's, yeah, it's not a good one. <laughs> right. Are we, do, are we done with that? Are we yeah. done with the uh, Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Should we talk about these as two okay. or as one? Yeah. Fuck it. Let's do it as two as one. I don't have many yeah. notes for the second one. Let's do it as one. Um, it felt a bit like the series four finale in terms of bringing everyone back together, but obviously just from season five. You got the yes. queen. You got River Song. You know. 
I like that. I like that every yeah, I, like that. I like that every episode of the season gets referenced. Yes, I did. It like makes that. it feel like it's a cohesive unit, you know, even if they're yeah. only like cameos, basically. It felt pretty neat. Yeah, especially as it was wrapping up. Yes. Um, there are only I don't know how many more times he does this, but there are only so many times you can scare off galactic menaces by fronting it. <laughs> Do you no, know I mean? he's the doctor. That's his. That's his mo, uh, isn't it? Okay. That is a pretty iconic. Is that one of, if not the most iconic Matt Smith moments, Eddie? The Stonehenge speech? It is up there. I've I know seen that clip before, so it's definitely up there. That's the speech. It, I don't know if it's the most iconic. That's the speech that Ryan Gosling saw and hired Matt Smith based oh, on. That is true. Is it Lost River? Is that the name Lost of the Lost River, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He hired him based on that speech. And it is a pretty, like, you know, it's like, oh, that's a, that's a good moment. <sighs> I don't know. What's wrong with you, Sam? I, you're I, you're I, wrong I, about everything. I think when Doctor Who starts to take itself seriously, I start it starts to become funny to me. So when you've got the Doctor, I am talking. I just go, oh, shut up. <laughs> just shut up, you stupid man. So I, I didn't think that was an epic moment. Okay, well, you're just wrong, but silly. by all means, carry on being yeah. wrong. Um, right, explain Rory to me. Uh, <laughs> explain that, what happens. A- Amy's memory... <laughs> yeah it's a bit um convoluted isn't it a little bit um it reminds me of something that someone on our course would have written well when he first appears the doctor says like it's an absurd universe ridiculous things happen i was thinking, well okay that's not an inaccurate statement but it seems insufficient as an internal logic <laughs> yes <laughs> you know what mad things just happen sometimes yeah um they do end up trying to explain it though but yeah. doesn't become the actual explanation as to no, why yeah, that's come fair. back. I don't know whether I like these two episodes. I honestly don't know. Okay. Well, that's that's new. It's so messy, I have no idea how the fuck I feel about them. Okay. I don't know if they're good or if they're bad. They could be terrible and they could be great. I have no idea. Right, okay. So just the default is a thumb sideways for both. Okay, uh, I think the Big Bang is stronger than the Pandorica opens. Yeah, I'd go with that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's it's very Moffat-y in terms of its... Well, that's what I kind of like about the story. I like that all of the spectacle goes into the Pandora Opens, and then the Big Bang is a very small, uh, kind of all-over-the-place kind of episode. Like, it's yeah. it's like Blink in the sense that you uh, time travel is sort of happening, and so events are happening out of order, you know? Mm-hmm. So that kind of conceptual playing with time element is kept for the finale after we've been wowed with all of the spectacle in the episode yeah, before. Yeah, it's like interstellariness. Like, the closer you get to, like, the um, the black hole, the singularity or whatever, Yeah, uh, the more things just start to fuck up. Or like Space Odyssey, the ending of Space Odyssey. Yeah, kind of like that, yeah. Yeah, mm. things just exponentially kind of rapidly, you know, advance. Yes. Yeah, I liked all that. But like I said, I have no, <laughs> no idea what was going on. <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, I'll just go with this. Um, I don't like the they switched from Earth-based Cybermen to alien-based Cybermen without telling us. <laughs> right, that, okay. That has always irritated me, that all of a sudden the Cybermen are just from space. Right. Did you even know that, Sam? No. No? No. They just did it without telling us. I think that's okay. irritating. Um, I'll say, the one thing I will say is I know they were reusing... They would have reused it because they still had the prop the, the prop head. Mm. Um, but the guy, the Sontaran, is the one that dies... In the Sontar, uh, in the Poison Sky, it's Christopher Ryan, isn't it? Is it the, like the main villain from the Sontaran stratagem? Yeah. Okay. That that particular- being said, Eddie, Sontaran the Sontarans dies. are a clone race, so it could just be another oh, version they, they, of they that are, Sontaran. But if you look at 
if you actually look at the ones where they ever show their face, they never look the same. That's true. They never look the same. Well, Strax looks the same. Strax looks the same as the one from uh, Poison That's Sky, That's because right? Strax is the same. He, he basically is the idea is it's supposed to be like him paying penance for what they did so oh that's right why, okay that's I why it's that th- form of him um but yeah no this is the Sontaran that specifically died <laughs> in an right, episode okay. and then i it just was like right okay well i don't like the idea of the alliance i've never really liked the idea of the alliance the the scene with all of the ships and the speech with you know the stonehenge mm. speech that's pretty cool and i do sort of like the idea that the most like the Pandorica is designed to hold the most dangerous being in the universe, and that being ends up being the Doctor. Mm. I think that's a nice idea. But let's be real: the Daleks would never work with anybody. It doesn't make any. Yeah, there's neither no, with the side. They literally say, "Do they?" You know, this special, <laughs> this species catchphrases. Yeah. And the Cybermen is literally assimilate. Yeah. You, you, how can you yes. work with anybody else? Delete as well. <laughs> Delete is also a thing they say a lot. Delete, exterminate, and assimilate. Yeah. How are they going to work together exactly? Exactly. Yeah. Um, um, I also think that, you know, it was a nice opportunity to show off all of the monsters that we've seen so far. The Alliance Jadun, is like... The Jaduna there. I, I yeah, think, the Jaduna there for like a shot. I think they should have had the Weeping Angels in it. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, no, 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 if you're going to do that, you might as well. Well, that's what I mean, because they brought all of them back. And who el- who better to um, guard the Pandorica then four weeping angels stood one either side. <laughs> it's not a bad shout, actually. Uh, you know, it's anyone that tries shout. to get him gets sent back in time. No, it's a decent idea, I suppose. Um, but firstly, like, after the universe ends, all of the creatures turn to stone, but the weeping angels turn to stone anyway, so that's not going to make a difference. But <laughs> yeah. also, um, yeah, I was going to say, like, this is an opportunity to really show off the, the length, like, the breadth of monsters in Doctor Who mm. when the Doctor is being, like, pushed into the Pandorica and you've mm-hmm. got Daleks, you've got Cybermen, you've got Saton- you've got the Santarans, you've got the Jadun, you've got the Silurians, mm-hmm. and you've got the monster from Love and Monsters. I can't even watch Love and Monsters. Which one's that? The Absorbaloft. The Absorbaloft episode, which I think every discussion I've had to remind you of it. Yeah, what is the what's the Absorbaloft? Peter K. Oh, okay, okay. Um, um, you know the monster got, they're chasing in the, the beginning Sikorax. that has like the giant teeth, right? Yeah, okay. the Sycorax. No, no, no! I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about the ships they mention. I'm talking about the creatures you actually see outside of the Pandorica. There's only yeah, like the a couple of them. outside. What do you mean they're outside? In that group of things, there is a Sycorax. All right, okay. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just I, I felt like considering how many species were supposed to be present, we didn't see enough. I, thought, I, I only really noticed four. I noticed yeah. the Sontarans, um, the Daleks, the Cybermen, and the Jadun. Yeah, you know, but the uh, Jadun walking into into frame. It's always a good thing. So. <laughs> yes, <laughs> just, it just is. Just walking right up the camera. You gotta yeah. love that. So, um, okay. So yeah. Okay. So how do we feel about um, the Doctor being erased from the universe and then sort of being remembered by Amy, and that's how he's sort of brought back? Crock of shit. Well, it's not. <laughs> it's vague, isn't it? It's it's like it's uh it's poetic logic made tangible. Okay. And sometimes that works in Doctor Who, and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. It's like the. Uh, they do that a lot, actually, where it sort of becomes fantasy, magical over science fiction. Mm. So, like, in the season three finale, where he is re-empowered by everyone thinking of him at the same time or something like yes. that. Yes, yeah, that's it. What does that mean? You know, that's magic. That's not science. Okay. That's, uh, so it does that sometimes, and sometimes it works. In this case, it's like, okay, whatever. As, as long as going into season six... We're all good now. <laughs> I mean, it's like, there's no hanging, timey-wimey, blah, 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 stuff. Okay. I just want us to, okay, we're going to have 
uh, Amy and Rory and the Doctor going through time. Okay. Well, it has, it has been uh, sort of like a common... It's become a common observation that, like, Moffat's interpretation of Doctor Who is the show is a fairy tale. Right. So there's definitely moments like that where they, it feels more fairy tale than science fiction. Yeah. The bride, like the princess bride and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, kind of. The fact yeah. that the Doctor is brought back into existence, not through some complicated scientific jargon, mm. but because... Amy remembers him and she sort of remembers him through words. There's that whole, like, you know, something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. That reminds her of the TARDIS, which reminds her of the Doctors. Like, that's a nice, you know... Oh, you don't I don't agree, do you, Sam? <laughs> Not really. I, I It was a bit cringy when it was something blue. I was like, oh, come on! <laughs> but it's the but yeah, TARDIS! It it's a, like, it's it okay. works, you know? It was okay. Yeah. It was all right. I like that. I like when he comes out and he's like, "Hello, I'm Amy's imaginary friend, but I came every, I came anyway." Like, well, that's, that's nice. my old, that's my alternate title for the second episode. It's something blue. I thought that would make make that would have made a good title for the episode. Okay, and what about um, the Pandora opens? What's your alternate? Well, part? okay, so my other alternate title for the second part is "For Whom the Bells Toll." I think that's a good a good one as well. All right, okay. Wedding bells, down. Yeah. Alternate title for the first one is uh, "The Rory of Roman Britain." because <laughs> right. the, the book is the story of Roman Britain isn't it yeah yeah and my favourite one uh, Antagonist okay. okay get it explain well all the antagonists but it's all of them it's like a list of antagonists it's the antagonists antagonists yeah, yeah, I yeah. see okay right okay uh, so I probably actually the Rory of Roman Britain has a nice ring to it so mm, yes might go with that and then uh, for whom the bells toll for the last one okay fair play to Rory like being awake for 2000 years yeah must be knackered. <laughs> <laughs> I would have, I would have liked that. I would have liked a slightly more, considering that it's sort of reset by the end of the episode. Uh, having a more feral, rugged Rory by the time we meet up with him in modern day. Can't be rugged, can he, Arthur Darvill? I mean, even in uh, in Broadchurch, he plays like a fresh-faced priest, doesn't he? Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, he's got that quality about him. Mm. Well, that was season five. Yeah. What do we think of series five? As it's a, a thumb sideways from me. Oh no. Yeah. Because it started with like sequential thumbs up and then it slowly became sideways, then down and then sideways. So on balance, I think I've got to give it a thumb sideways. I enjoyed rewatching most of it, but I ended up not enjoying watching the last two episodes alongside the general shit. <laughs> See, I, I quite liked it. I quite liked it on the rewatch. You're a fanboy though, George. <laughs> no, outside no, outside of that. I I liked it. It felt more like a cohesive season. Like series 3 at the moment is sort of still the benchmark for you, right? That's still the best series. It's of- the best series. Yeah, in terms of, but again, I'm thinking of it in terms of how many good episodes were there. Yeah, I know? don't know if for me there are more good episodes in series 3 than there yeah. are in series 5. Mm-hmm. For you I think there are. Mm-hmm. And obviously series 3 has blink, so it's automatically like a front runner. Yeah. But I don't know, it, like, Series 3, at the end of the day, it does sort of feel like a collection of episodes. Whereas this feels a bit more like a, like a construct. It feels circular. Yes. Uh, it was obviously, that was in its design. But I think I think their attempts to do that made it a bit too convoluted for me. Okay. I appreciate the effort of... Well, if you thought, if you thought this was convoluted, Sam... Well, yeah, I know. It's all downhill from here, isn't it? But... Uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would say this is the last good season of Doctor Who. Oh. Fucking hell, I'm not even halfway through it. <laughs> no, you're not. Not that I would want to, I don't want to... Um, <laughs> colour my opinion. I wouldn't want to colour your opinion, but also you do kind of need to prepare yourself for what's to come. Right. I'm not going to lie, there is a part of me that genuinely feels like after Matt Smith, I might need a break. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, we'll see. Yeah. Um, what was your favorite episode of this series? Oh, God, run through a McDonald's. <laughs> so you've got the 11th hour. Yeah, that's good. I think basically it's between the 11th hour and Vincent and the Doctor, right? Not for me. Those no, are like the, the two angel front ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, and maybe time of the, yeah, maybe the time of angels. Okay, well. yeah, the time of angels. The time of yeah. angels. That's my favorite. Oh, right. That's my favorite. Oh, of the okay. Season. Well, yeah. it's obviously the eleventh hour. But yeah, it's it's not sure. It's wanna... the doctor. <laughs> oh, we were all disagreed. Brilliant. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. That's that's kind of nice. We all have different favorites. Yeah. I think are we mutually agreed on the worst episode? Well, is it the lodger or is it hungry earth cold blood? Yeah. Um. I suppose it's it's Hungry Earth, Cold Blood. I would say so as well. Yeah. I think the fact that it's a two-parter as well, it's it's way longer I than might it needs yeah. to be. dislike The Vampires of Venice on the rewatch more, mm. but I, in terms of what I think is probably the worst, it's probably that two-parter. Well, we said before, like, the worst sin in Doctor Who is being boring, isn't it? Yeah. There's yes. no excuse to be boring in something with this kind of scope. So No. no. Yeah. I, think, I think one of the reasons I also like The Vampires of Venice, for the same reason you sort of like... Vincent and the Doctor, Eddie, is because it's all filmed on location. Yeah. And there is some CGI stuff in there that's a bit ropey. Mm. But the Hungry Earth and Cold Blood are mostly sets and it just it suffers because of it. Whereas Vampires of Venice, Vampires of Venice is at least a good-looking episode outside yeah. of its like slightly lackluster in the grand scheme of things uh, script. Yeah, so I think we're, we're kind of locked. I, I really, really... I mean, Matt Smith might be a contender, but I think, I think I'm pretty done now in terms of my favourites. Okay. I don't see I don't see that any of those being topped, but we'll see. There's like a handful of episodes to come that m- that are at least worthy of being in the conversation same conversation as Blink. Okay. I, I, I Blink is going to be tricky to beat. No, I don't think it can I, be. I agree. Bo- I mean, I don't this think... is coming from someone who likes the 11th hour as much as he does. Yeah, as I, well. I agree. Yeah. I don't think anything will top it for Sam though. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, we'll see. <laughs> we don't want to just end on <laughs> this is how things are going to be now. Uh, yeah. We'll have some suspense. Yeah. Um, well, that's it, though, right? Yep. We're done. Yeah. Right. Okay. Catch you next time, then. Ciao, ciao. Sarah.